Hello, everybody. You're listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I am your hungover host, Mike Petchy. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I am uh, feeling it today. Uh, it was a hard Monday morning. I had to uh, roll out of bed and try to get this intro recorded. Um, on an episode I, I actually laid down a few weeks ago. Um, but the challenge this morning was that uh, I did a bunch of partying last night. We did a bunch of partying this weekend. And Gina's just walking through right now, as you can hear. She also did a lot of partying this weekend. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. Yeah? Mm-hmm. How are you feeling great? Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah, we had a pretty intense uh weekend uh we were celebrating after doing uh shoot last week um i don't know if you guys have been following me on instagram at mike petchy on instagram or following the podcast instagram at 11 the process pod on instagram uh but i've been teasing that uh i put back on the director's hat it's been a little while um came back out again from uh music video retirement well actually technically this isn't a music video we didn't actually do a music video this is a music film comedy film short film um so uh i can't tell you who i worked with yet i can't tell you uh the um, who the amazing talent really great fucking talent on this this is actually one of my more favorite projects that i've done with the best most easygoing client that i've ever had uh, and uh, we had such a great time, put together a solid team of people, a solid crew, um, and uh, shot here in Los Angeles. A uh, bunch of stuff that I learned along the way, a bunch of like, I don't want to say hiccups, because they weren't necessarily hiccups, just a bunch of learning curves coming back out after COVID and going into directing and then directing out here in Los Angeles. There's definitely very different baseline issues between the east coast and the west coast when you're putting together and you're scheduling a shoot um i think i'll just do a whole episode about this once the project releases maybe i'll even be able to get some of the talent on the show to talk about how we did it uh, but uh speaking of music today is a music episode i'm very excited uh this conversation went fantastically uh, I got along really well with today's guest, um, and it was sort of a, I don't even remember how I ended up booking this. It ended up being such a surprise episode. Um, I think it, uh, as usual, I think I crossed paths with our guest today on Instagram. I was sort of hunting around and I was in, I don't know if I was in like a new Retrowave uh, thread somewhere or on one of the pages for new Retrowave, but I actually stumbled across um uh today's guest new band which i'm very excited about knowing um and they're called all the damn vampires so really cool brand new sort of synth pop synth wave uh band out there all the damn vampires go check them out uh and today's guest is none other than the amazing davy oberlin and davy has been in the music industry for years uh, he is a musician, sound designer, uh, and then a live musician. He has toured with some of the biggest uh, metal bands, hard rock bands in the world. 
Uh, he spent years on tour with Korn. He is uh, Korn's um, keyboardist. Uh, he's toured with uh, Seven Dust. He was a guitarist for Seven Dust, uh, Devin Townsend Project. Um, he has been out there uh, playing the big shows, playing in front of ginormous audiences. Uh, and we get into it on today's show. What's it like? I don't know. Those of you, how long has it been since you guys have been to a concert? It's been a while, right? I actually got a concert scheduled this month, actually, coming up. I'm supposed to go see my buddy Big Black Delta play out here in Los Angeles. Very excited about that. Um, but you know that vibe that you get when you go to a big rock show? It's a rock show normally. You go and there's just this wall of emotion, wall of sound. Just what the culmination of thousands and thousands and thousands of people at their peak, just jacked up emotionally, pushing and screaming and yelling those emotions back at that stage. I've been very fortunate to actually be on that stage, uh, either as a cameraman or as a director, and be in front of crowds like that. And it's crazy. Even the smaller crowds are crazy. And so uh, Davey and I talk a lot about that. We talk about what it's like to perform in front of large crowds. Um, we talk about his time uh, sound designing stuff. He sound designed video games. Uh, he comes from a filmmaker family. Um, his dad is in the film industry, which means that he got to pl uh, play around in the film industry. He's been extras on stuff. Um, so it's a fun episode. It really sort of mixes the boundaries of what we do on this show. <laughs> Get ready, because we also talk about food stuff on this show. And we talk about vegetarian and veganism food, all sorts of stuff that you would not expect to hear on this podcast. And it's a great fucking episode. So strap yourselves in and stick around for the end of the episode because I'm also going to tackle a lot of the stuff that's going on right now. I just read um, the climate report that came from the UN and uh, how fucking nuts is that shit? Uh, so we'll get into that at the end of the episode as well. Uh, and like I said earlier, thank you for following me on Instagram at my Petchan Instagram and following the podcast at In Love With The Process Pod. That's In Love With The Process P-O-D on Instagram. Please do me a favor right now while you're listening to the show, leave me a review. Leave a review on whatever listening service you use. I know a majority of you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts. So while you have your phone in your hand, just scroll all the way down to the bottom of my channel and leave a review. Leave a review for this episode. Let me know what you think of the show. And I know that there are hundreds of new followers right now. I just was looking at our stats last week and I was like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> like there was a couple of days where we just peaked. I think we had some of the, 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 the largest listenership in a day a couple weeks ago. It was like, holy shit. So there's a whole new group of you and you guys are going back to older episodes. And if you're finding that daunting, right? If you're looking at Apple Podcasts and you're like, man, there's like a hundred what are we at, 140 something episodes or something right now? Go on over to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There I've curated all the episodes based upon subject material. So if you just wanna to listen to the episodes with directors, or if you wanna to listen to the episodes with chefs, or if you wanna sort of play around in our top, I think it's like a now a top 30 episode thing. Don't quote me on that, but we have a page up there with all the top episodes. Our favorite episodes, the audience's favorite episodes. It's a great way to get your feet wet. 
And I'm gonna tell you, I love our listeners of this show because you guys go back and listen from the beginning. You guys are the truest of comic book fans. You guys started issue one and you plow your way through. So thank you for being with us. Thank you for supporting us. And uh, as we get into the mid-roll reads further in this episode, um, make sure you click on all the sponsor links. They're traceable links. It lets the sponsors know what's up. And I will also address in the ad reads what's going on with Audible. I have fucking no idea what's going on with those guys. So we're going to talk about that stuff too. So stick around and let me not delay it any further. Grab those noise-canceling headphones, strap yourselves in, and we'll play some of the new music from Davey Oberlin on the brand new episode of In Love With The Process.
Davey, thanks for being on the show, dude. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. I'm very excited to have you on the show. Uh, a lot of stuff I want to talk about. I'm a big fan of uh, all the damn vampires. Like you are playing in this sort of uh, synth pop new retro wave world that uh, I, being an old metal kid, have fallen into and just got lost in this sort of genre. So I was pumped to find your shit and twice as pumped to hear that you were cool and you are like, hey, I'd love to be on the show. So, <laughs> Man, thank you. I, yeah, I, I love it too. And it's it's funny that, you know, we both come from like metal and like the hard hardcore backgrounds and we <laughs> love this type of music. I think there's definitely some sort of... Uh, relation there i i've been trying to figure it out you know like <laughs> recently and i i've said this on the show a bunch but those are listening to, suck it up you have to deal with it again uh recently uh i got a record player uh, my girlfriend got me a record player um which i don't know why i never had one and so i started to go back to music stores again which i fucking love and like going into a place for physical media and i would just joke around being in sort of like the synthwave sections and you'd see these like metal dudes with long hair and like <laughs> real old school metal t-shirts just flipping through like madonna sounds <laughs> it sounds like me yeah. <laughs> go grab that like 80s madonna vinyl yeah 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 i mean it's it's so cool to like go and physically get the media as well you know but like i, I don't know it's just i feel like we got we had our like aggression and we found like music that related to it and got excited about it and had all that energy mm -hmm. and then as we got older we we're like yeah but i also had a lot of happy times too that i didn't feel so aggressive <laughs> about where i just chilled and watched the movies and this music really harkens on that you know yeah no you should have seen the collection i had the other day i, I walked out of the store with george michael's faith <laughs> I walked out, <laughs> which is awesome and it's like one of my first cassette tapes that i got as a kid it was like that i don't know why my grandmother bought me george michael i don't think she knew what george michael was singing about no i don't think a lot of people did. <laughs> uh it was that and it was uh, michael jackson's thriller um and then the karate kid 2 soundtrack <laughs> oh, <laughs> was <that>? so good <laughs> and so it's no surprise that you know once i cross 40 i'm like going back down into that nostalgic you know memory lane absolutely you know yeah that so george michaels is like my karaoke go-to i don't know if a lot of people know that but if i if i'm somewhere and i i'm gonna go up and do karaoke i always do careless whispers That's Ooh, like my jam. i was gonna ask <laughs> father figure is probably my jam oh, that was totally. so good and the background music on that and like the i think he was using like organs in the back of that or something it was so fucking good and the production is so yeah. great on that track yeah, it was really like ethereal, you know, like just everything that, that they did or that George Michaels had, you know, putting out, there was just so much great music going on in the background. And like, I didn't pay attention to that when I was a kid as much, but, you know, subconsciously that was like connecting with me. I was like, oh man, all these like sonic layers and these cool like pads and everything that now I understand and I appreciate yeah, totally. And for me, when I'm listening to it, I'm closing my eyes and I'm just imagining like a, a weird hybrid of John Woo meets Tony Scott. So it's just like <laughs> spinning fans with haze and doves flying around. Yeah, doves and bullets. And, <laughs> yeah, and flowing fabrics and like makeout scenes. It's every time I listen to that time period, I, I think of the late, great, amazing Tony Scott all the time. Yeah, that that makes me inspired. Like I, I should 
probably work on my stepping up my game with music videos and do something a little more like that. <laughs> Dude, if you, choreographed. yeah, if you get to that point, you want someone to direct, let me know. <laughs> you got it. Hey. I will totally. <laughs> We'll have a side conversation about that for sure. Yeah. I will totally go back in time and do like an old school uh, 90s video. That would be so much fun. Oh, I, I'm in all the way. Uh, so let's talk about you. So I think some of the folks listening to this episode uh, will know you from playing live with Corn, And some folks may know you from your band, All the Damn Vampires, who we've been talking about. Um, but let's catch people up because a lot of my listeners you know, or lazy. <laughs> so, sure. <laughs> so how did you get, why, like as an artist, why music? Why did you pick music? Why did you end up there? It was just, it was something that I think like genetically was just ingrained in me. Like uh, I got my first guitar when I was six years old and wow. I was obsessed with it. And I would just sit there and, you know, just make sound and try to figure out how to make more of that sound and different sound and so it just progressed and you know my whole family's very musical very artistic um i have a older sister danielle and she's she's great like she had the columbia house deal where you <laughs> yes. get the albums every month yeah so, so like she was she was the only one that got had a cd player in the house at the time and you know tape players like even then like my tape player would break all the time i'd use it to like record songs off of like k-rock mm -hmm. and make my own mixes and stuff so i would sneak into her room when she was off at college and i would pick through her cds and i would just sit there and i'd listen to front to back the whole album so i was listening to like corn listening to deftones mm -hmm. um even like mxpx and uh tool oh, yeah. you know it was just it was just a, a wide variety of different types of music um and I had no context. Like there was nobody to explain to me who they are, what they are, what the songs were about. So it was all very like real and very serious to me. You know, like <laughs> there's that like hidden track at the end of the first Corn album, and I thought that was like the craziest thing mm -hmm. I'd ever heard. I had no idea what was going on. So I, I, I just fell into this rabbit hole where I was just really intrigued with um, these bands and these personalities and these pictures. Like looking at Deftones wearing like the like khakis and the like, windbreakers. I was like, man, these guys look so cool, you know, <laughs> like the Adidas. So it, I, I was just enamored and I didn't have anybody to really like kind of mentor me like on all of it. And then that eventually grew into like Beavis and Butthead and the music videos mm -hmm. on there, like Life of Agony, Prong, you know. Oh. So I'm, I'm getting all this great heavy music, you know. And my cousin as well, he was like a total Hessian. So we would just sit around his apartment, watch Beavis and Butthead and 80s horror films, and we would play his Washburn guitar and like, you know, video games and wrestling games and stuff. So it, it was just like all of these things just kind of developing in me. And then when I finally got the confidence to start doing live music, uh, you know, that eventually spiraled into me meeting Jennifer Finch from L7 uh -huh. and then getting, she kind of took me under her wing and that's where I really got my go, you know, with touring live music. I, I, my first tour was like Europe right out of high school. Wow. Dude. So yeah, yeah. It was like, it was like zero to a hundred just overnight. Basically I, I'd barely played out of my own town or any shows. And then I'm on stage in front of thousands in Spain playing lead guitar and back singing backing vocals. You know, it was just, it's crazy, but it was, a, it was something that I knew in my heart. Like, this is what I want to do. This is like, what I was made to do. And I, I don't think I would be happy if I wasn't doing it. <laughs> speaking of a little side tangent here, speaking of prong, uh, yeah. cause I also love prong and years later, I, you know, being a kid that grew up watching MTV and headbangers ball and, and just really loving metal stuff. I 
never really thought that I'd end up in that world as a music video director doing a lot, a lot of metal video stuff. And, totally. and uh, a side story about Tommy Prong, about Prong, um, I loved that band and they were always super heavy and there was like sort of an industrial stint that they went through that I really loved, like right. Rude Awakening, I think was the album. And we ended up, me and my business partner ended up on the tour bus uh, for the Meshuggah thing because we did Meshuggah's Bleed video. And we ended up on a tour bus with Fear Factory, it was Burton and Tommy Prong. And we ended up going with him. He's like, you guys want to go out and get some beers and stuff? I was like, yeah, all right. We ended up going to like this weird dance club that was playing Madonna. And I remember just sort of standing next to this dance floor with Tommy Prong going, I'm with Tommy Prong listening to like Madonna. It's really funny. That's how it always goes too. It's like you, you realize that these like, guys behind the, some of the heaviest stuff you've ever heard are are like really <laughs> into the soft like these ballads i i think i was on tour with uh jimmy borgare mm -hmm. and uh i that for the day off they were like hey why don't you roll with us to vegas early and uh you know we go to one of the shows there and just just give me give me a break from you know some of the guys i was touring with yeah just because yeah. we'd, we'd been cramped up for like months and uh I get on the bus and I'm with all these guys, you know, the, like they, they have names like Shagrath and, you know, stuff like that, like just gnarly <laughs> stage names. And we're listening to like 80s ballads. Like I think we watched Bloodsport. We were like listening to the Bloodsport soundtrack. I was just like, <laughs> this is amazing, you know. And even just listening to Alice in Chains, it was a contrast from like these, yes. these Norwegians playing black metal <laughs> yes. to, you know. I, I, that's what I love about that world, you know, when you – or a listener you're in the audience it's so serious and so like oppressive and just crazy but then you meet them and you're like oh these are just like artists and musicians you know not to spoil the, the illusion <laughs> but you know i'm sure there's some real dudes out there like like the watain guys and, you know some some of these like founding black metal guys but yeah. to me and most of the guys i've met they're just like they love music they love good songs you know so I, i've always really appreciated the diversity there behind the scenes yeah, it's funny because like a lot of the folks that play in these bands are just very gentle nerds. And yeah. you, I, I had the same sort of reaction. I remember the first time I went on a tour bus for one of, the, for one of these bands. I can't remember who, but it, they were pretty heavy. And so in my head, I'm like, okay, so we're going to go on the bus. There's going to be like slaughtering pigs. It's going to be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> just You climb on this bus and everybody's sitting around playing PlayStation. <laughs> you <know what> I mean? <laughs> and you're like, all oh, right, these are real. Right, right. These are real people. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's, it's easy to, to, you know, think otherwise. And then you meet them and you're like, oh, man, these are my people. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm such a nerd. I, I would hide my Magic the Gathering like decks and I'd bring them with me on these tours in hopes that on a day off I could find a place to go go play some magic or something. But really everyone back home, like my girlfriend at the time, they're thinking I'm out partying or, you know, hanging out with other girls. I'm just like, no, I'm, I'm actually probably going to be playing magic in, somewhere in Tucson. Yeah, no, it's fun. You know what was interesting as a director, once I realized that a lot of the, the dudes that were in that scene were kind of nerds and were did, did love a lot of the same stuff I did or comic book geeks and all that stuff. It ended up taking a lot of the pressure off that that scene because at least with metal there there were a whole lot of unwritten rules, especially as a music video director. You're like, okay, because remember I, I pitched Fear Factory on their video, and their initial conversation or my pitch to them was, let's do a video that has like 
uh, blue and yellow and all like these vivid pop colors in it. And uh, oh yeah, and I remember that the, like the the first feedback on it was like, uh, what? And I'm like, what do you <laughs> what do you what do you mean? And they're like, it's not metal though. And I'm like, what? And they go, yeah, it's supposed to be like fluorescent lights and green. And I'm like, dudes, <laughs> you are metal. So whatever we film is going to be metal by proxy. So like, exactly. let, us, let us do something weird, man. Uh, but they ended up going for it. But it was funny, that initial conversation. And, and a lot of younger metal bands that we used to work with, I'd be like, hey, bring some options for clothes. And it was like, black jeans, black jeans, black t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just like, okay, I guess there's a set of rules here. But, you know, once you get past the persona of that and you start to meet these people in real life, you're like, oh, there's a lot of variety here. And you guys should curve into that and change the yeah, genre. You know? Yeah, yeah, and that image too. It's hard to get away from that. Like I, I remember, you know, filming music videos, and uh, people would be like, "Bring options," and I'm in my head. I've already decided what I want to look like on camera, so I'm like, "Oh, okay." I have this one leather jacket, and I have this black shirt, and these black jeans. So it's like the idea of having options around that is like, you know, it just didn't exist in my head at the time. I'd be like, "Oh, maybe I'll I'll bring a flannel and I'll put that, you know, break it up a little bit," but. uh yeah, those unspoken rules are, are so strong, but I, I really love like the idea of contrast. You know, like you said, like you wanted to do some of those pop colors and by proxy they're they're already metal. Like mm -hmm. I mean there's so so many great uh, moments in cinema where it's like a montage of like a murder spree, but the happiest song is playing, you know. Just, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's cool. Well that, dude, I think that's kind of I think that's kind of one of the reasons why I really fell super hard into the synth pop and the new retrowave sound. Um, you know, a lot of it comes from my horror background and John Carpenter and all the synth and all that stuff oh, that yeah. comes from that world. But then just the freedom uh, of, of sort of curving into this and then going to see bands like Carpenter Brute who put on like such an amazing live show with with live instrumentation. And it feels like a fucking metal show. But then it also feels like the score from a really cheesy horror movie from the 80s that I used to love. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the whole like element of the the music and the the cinema going together like that's the biggest thing to me like i i absolutely you know love being able to visualize what i'm listening to or to be able to watch visualizations that match the music you know so yeah. synthwave was like the perfect place for that I, and i was always like kind of just thinking like how can i get better synth sounds how can i do this cool synth stuff and i was just using like really simple programs and then once that world kind of opened up to me and more vsts and plugins mm -hmm. were offered it was just like i didn't want to stop you know i just sat down i'm like man here's one song all right i'm already ready to make the next one <laughs> now i'm like like getting all these like trap kits and stuff and like oh i want to take this snare and add this to a synth song you know like so it's just this like really awesome rabbit hole that i've gone down in the last like you know five years or so all, all the damn vampires is actually pretty young I, I, I think 2019 is when i officially released like my first thing and yeah. i was just like i was in like a hotel room on tour you know doing like i think we were doing the alice in chains tour or something um and so it's it's still like really new to me i feel like i i put out some stuff and there's an idea there but i feel like i i I have yet to show like the full potential of what I want to do. And then there's also going to be the live elements, you know? So it's just, it's so fun. I, I'm more excited about this than I've ever been about any project. And I, I've done 
quite a few, you know, I've played for a few people as well. And it's always really fun and it's great, but there, it feels like there's kind of a, a ceiling there, you know, but with this, I feel like you could branch into video games, into movies, and that's all like, you know, just things I love. Yeah, totally, dude. It sounds like uh, you're that metal kid that's like shedding his like black pants and his black metal <laughs> t-shirt and stepping into a world of bright colored creativity. Wow. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think they have to be mutually exclusive. Like, um, you know, I still, I'm still wear my, my black, uh, band t-shirts, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, of course me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love writing a good pop song and you know, we're, we're talking about, uh, movie soundtracks a little bit as well. Did you ever get into the, uh, return of the living dead soundtrack? Oh yeah. Oh yes. I recently actually was listening to yeah. that. Uh, more and more, I'm realizing it's one of my favorite soundtracks, and uh, and the I feel like it's like this this really small collective of us who realize that that's like the greatest soundtrack of like <laughs> like horror film history. There's just so many cool songs. It's it's all those like really fun like kind of like party punk rock songs yeah. that yep. yeah just real dancey and uh, yeah I feel like I I got to preach on it when you know when I get a chance like go listen to the soundtrack to return of the living dead. If I can find the vinyl, I would be stoked. Cause they did like some limited runs where the vinyl looks like it's just coated in blood. Like really? The, the, yeah. Like that basement. I think they call him the tar zombie. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah and it almost looks like him. Like it's so cool. Oh, that movie's so wild, man. It's been, it's been a long time since I've seen the film, but I, I think I was running through, I don't know. Some algorithm was running through shit for me on uh, Spotify, and then that came through, and I was like, "What am I listening to?" Oh, right, this uh, this movie. I forgot all about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. That there's a uh, there's like actually a really accurate and correct uh, soundtrack uploaded to Spotify for it. It was really hard to find because there's a great song from the soundtrack. I think it's called like "Love Under Will" or something. Mm. But the original version from the film was the best and then they released like an updated probably radio version so this spotify upload and i'll send it to you is please, like please it actually do. has the the great like film version on it oh fuck yeah dude <laughs> yeah i'll message that to you it's really cool all right hold on hold on so we're, we're, we're jumping ahead here so you uh you ended up after high school you ended up going and touring with some pretty huge bands and like being a touring musician. Did I read that you were also a guitar tech for a little while too on tour? Uh, yeah. So it, it's kind of, it wasn't like really intentional. It wasn't like I, I directed myself towards it on purpose. I was, uh, I was doing the, I got really into doing like sound effects for video games and stuff. And I was working with a friend of mine who developed like AAA mobile titles. Mm. And uh, so I was having a blast. I was making all these zombie and, and weapon noises and stuff. And then he, uh, I actually ended up introducing to, Matt, uh, M Shadows from Avenged Sevenfold, and because mm -hmm. they, they wanted to do a video game, so they had this really like grandiose, like epic idea of a game that you know you always end up kind of having to scale it down a little bit. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The ambition is there, but you know what's <laughs> the <money>. actually possible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so they they got together to do it, and uh, you know, as a kind of a, a wave, a thank you for making the connection. I think, and also just because I could do it do a good job of it they asked me to do the sound design on the game i ended up doing the the voiceovers and voicing the main character and so we, we were kind of in the middle of that project it was a it's a really big uh involved thing you know everything had to update with each version that was being put out by the developer mm -hmm. and so that they were going on tour and johnny was like 
I don't have a tech right now. Why don't you come out and tech for me? And then, you know, I can also do the, the sound captures and stuff over out there and get the voiceovers. And mm-hmm. so I was like, yeah, sure. I'll, you know, I'll give it a shot. I've never done it. Um, so, you know, I went out and I got to go out with my friends. I, I've been friends with the Avenge guys since I, you know, was probably 20 years old and moved out to Orange County. And it was nice to just be on the road with, with buddies and not just, you know, like as a hired gun or right. with people. So uh, we had a great time. I, I think, you know, the teching side of that world is just not for me. Like I, I was just on the wrong <laughs> side of the stage, you know, and I was just like, man, I'm not I'm not enjoying this at all. But then I loved the, the time off being with the guys, you know, and me and uh, Sin, we, we recorded a, uh, a song in like Austria on a day off, Mongolian death worm. <laughs> and so, you know, we, we got to do some cool, fun stuff and we finished the game and the sounds and that came out awesome. But yeah, it was a really short stint where I just did like one and a half tours with, with them teching. And that's also ironically how I met the corn guys because we did the mayhem festival. Right. Right. And right. I, yeah. I just ended up developing a really good connection and friendship with, with head and fieldy. And, uh, yeah, that kind of just led to them asking me to uh, take over for the the keyboard live role because they needed that, and it was it was just crazy. Like you know, I never imagined a that I'd be playing keyboards live, and then b that I would be playing at Corn, which was a band I, I grew up listening to. So yeah, yeah, yeah like <laughs> you just like like you said earlier, one of the bands that you were listening to that your sister had. Now now you're playing keyboard for them on stage live, touring with the dudes. That's crazy, man. Yeah, you should have seen her face when I told her. I was like, oh, yeah, by the way. <laughs> she was just like, just awestruck, you know, because she, she knew like that she had a big influence on me in, in music and uh, she was always really generous with me. Like, I think if, if I was in reverse roles, I would have felt very OCD about somebody handling my CDs or taking them out of my space, you know, just because I lose things. And she just was like, just have at it, you know, enjoy it. And she really like nurtured that creative side of me. So, so I, I have three sisters and uh, she's the oldest and also like the most like, most like me, you know, where mm-hmm. she's into just like the music and art. She does interior design. She's just super cool. But um, it was just great to see everything come full circle. And, uh, you know, just to to have such a, a close friendship with Head and with Fieldy and then to get to know the other guys in the band. And it's, you know, just like a brotherhood. I can genuinely say and I'm, I'm not biased. Like, you know, they're, they're like the nicest, probably the best dudes in, in that business at that level, you know, yeah. like you couldn't find a, a greater group of guys. Yeah. <clears throat> Must've been a blast touring with them, especially since, because I've seen drama in that world. So it's nice to hear that they're really, really cool dudes. Um, what was, what was touring like with those guys? Was it like, what was playing on stage like with those dudes? It was, it was like some of the most fun I've ever had, you know, just even just being in the bus, like there's not a moment that we probably weren't laughing our asses off just (laughs) hysterically or, you know, just having a good time. And, And then being on stage was, was always so cool because it could have been like a really terrible situation for me coming, coming in to a new camp that mm-hmm. has like 25 years experience playing these songs. They could have been so hard on me and just up my ass on everything I'm playing and how I'm playing it. But it was like, we respect you. We know you're good at what you do. And so we trust you. So like if I wanted to play an interlude or change a sound, like there was never an issue. If it oh, was cool. something that they didn't like, yeah, it was super cool. And like, you know, anything that was, was a mistake or they didn't like, it was like, 
they would bring it up really really cool just like hey let's let's change that never spoke of it again never an issue no you know nobody held on to anything it was just like we'd walk away from every show super stoked and uh they just they just always made me feel so welcome and so appreciated and yeah it was it was honestly like the best uh, you'd think i'd be more comfortable like on a smaller stage with a few people but it was like the opposite like we could be in front of 200,000 people and i knew that i was supported by those guys like you know as a musician and mm-hmm. to perform with them so there was never an issue i could go up there with my eyes closed and i wouldn't even think twice about it i just be like Awesome. This is going to be a great show. <laughs> and how long ago was this? When did you start touring with those guys? Man, I want to say we started like rehearsing and I started getting all the the things I needed to learn around like 2017. Okay. And so they um, were they were still doing a pretty big show at that point, right? But they they were still putting on like like was it a big road crew and like like a big like uh light show and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. We we always had you know, quite a big production, yeah. even, uh, even scaling it down for the sake of like travel or certain stages, it always was a lot bigger than, you know, I think the only other band that I had toured with that had a production that big was Avenged, you know, they had the mm-hmm. pyrotechnics and mm-hmm. the cryo. Corn could have had all that. They could have had, you know, fireworks shooting off the stage the entire show. But, um, I think the idea is to keep the focus on, you know, how raw and like, intense yeah. like the corn songs are so they always kind of struck that balance and, and let the lighting do the talking so we had a uh, this guy church from germany and he did a fantastic job you know setting up the lighting and some of the video walls that we we're doing and mm-hmm. um yeah so I, I would say at the time that i was was rolling with them like the, the shows were were very big and uh i think the biggest was close to three hundred thousand. that's crazy and that, that yeah, that was like overseas. I think that was uh, in the UK. Just the just the just the sound that three hundred thousand people make. It's, it's such <laughs> an intense. I've I've never been on a stage that big. I've I've been on stage with like Killswitch, and they've they've had some pretty big shows. But yeah, you just don't know until you stand in front of that many people that are just screaming at you what that energy feels like. It's pretty fucking intense, you know. Yeah, you'll if you let it, or for in in my case, you know, this might not be the same for everyone, but if I let that really get to me and overwhelm me, I, I would almost do too much. You know, you get that like performance adrenaline, mm-hmm. um, and I never wanted to get that because I, I didn't want to screw up, you know, or or miss <laughs> something. Because it's, it, I tried to to keep in mind, it's like this is not my my band, this is not my show. Right. You know, I, I've still got to support what they're doing. And so, like, if I got too ahead of myself and I screwed up, you know, that sucks because the, the goal was for them to never even have to think about me and just know I was just going to kill it with yeah. what I needed to do. So yeah, yeah. I just kept trying to keep myself calm. And it was also really helpful to have in-ear monitors. Mm-hmm. So Ray and I were the only two members on stage with in-ear monitors. So if there was anything that did have a click or any sort of, like, um, cues – him and I were the only ones aware of it and the other guys would follow in on that. So, um, that killed a lot of the sound, you know, so that, that 300,000 people, <laughs> if I were to pop those things out, it would have been terrifying. And I, I usually would pop like half of an in-ear out when we'd play make me bad because at the end I play acapella with Jonathan and that was the most terrifying moment of the set for me, you know, because <laughs> it's like, like any, anything that I screw up will screw him up because he's keeping tempo and then you know there's just very light percussion from ray 
So I pop half of my in-ear out just to make sure I'm hearing everything. And then you could really hear the crowd, you know, um, just wild. screaming and you could hear like the echo and the sound coming back at you. So yeah, there were, there were some moments like those were always the parts of the set where I was like, okay, this is, this is where I really need to lock in and I can kind of take in the atmosphere of the actual show that's going on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, the deafening sound of the crowd, that, that was something I was, I was spared from a lot of the times because of those in-ears, but I, you know, I do go up on stage and watch the bands before us a lot. And, you know, I got to take in the whole crowd and really appreciate it. I, uh, also will say like, it was really fun. Monkey and I would always, we were on the same side of the stage. So we would see these things happening in the crowd that were just crazy. Like people surfing on, on floaties and falling <laughs> and getting thrown in. And every now and then we would catch a moment at the same time. And he would, he would turn around mid performance and just look at me like, Holy shit. Did you see that? <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Cause when you, when you think about it, cause you're so distant from, especially these days, now that we've been locked down for so fucking long and a lot of people don't get to go to shows and yeah. you forget what it's like to be in a space with that many human beings and that many like jacked up human beings <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that are just like the adrenaline rush. And, and then, you know, like uh, going from like doing like hardcore stuff when I was younger and hardcore videos and like the pits for hardcore shows to like the fucking pits for fucking giant shows like that are intense, man. You know? Yeah. It's, it's such a contrast. You know, you can go to these hardcore shows and you'll see these little like, 130 pound lanky dudes like throwing windmills and you know flying around and then you go to a show in like the midwest and it's all metal and you see like like half of the the members of gold's gym in the center like <laughs> yeah. having like a contest beating their chest you know so yeah it's like uh the, the origins of godzilla versus kong at that point <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah. You, just, you got all the kaijus when you get out there to the midwest <laughs> all hocked up on Mountain Dew. And, yeah, and yeah, and their adrenaline. Yeah, and, and then corn, you know? Their adrenaline's just yeah, bumping. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I mean, man, speaking of, when we were in uh, South America, I, I don't remember exactly where but they were lighting like full-blown road flares in the middle of the pit and like burning tires and people were like falling off of the balconies into the crowd below like to get closer to the stage it was just pure pandemonium and we're playing like blind yeah. um, and we got those big 808 hits and this venue is so old i'm like almost sure that like parts of the ceiling are going to come down and like my risers like shaking and moving to the point where like i'll fall off the back of it if i'm not <laughs> careful you know <laughs> so it's just like it gets so crazy in some of these other countries and uh i, I absolutely love it but man it was, there was times where i was like i'm not i don't think i'm safe here i don't think the guys are <laughs> yeah. safe <laughs> yeah. yeah man oh it's fucking nuts it's really nuts it's been so long i have to go to a concert again it's been so long since i've been in one of those situations. I don't know what's going on here, but it's like the two military helicopters keep flying right over my house. Oh, so, I don't think your mic's picking it up. Oh, okay, so good. Because in but, here, it sounds like it's getting recorded everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's the kaijus, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's those dudes getting ready to land in a mosh pit in my living room right now. Um, yeah. Yeah, dude, there's something so interesting about that energy that comes from a show. And then they're I remember I went and I saw the Deftones play. I think they're one of my, um, I don't know. They might have been one of the last big metal bands that I saw play recently. And um, 
just going there and just the sonic energy and crafting sort of a an emotional experience through feedback and emotional experience through bass it was yeah. just it's like it's the purest place for music to physically affect your body which mm -hmm. is so interesting especially at like metal shows you know yeah i, I mean uh, i used to go to shows at uh troubadour in hollywood and mm -hmm. the the base there, the way they had it set up, like the subs, like it would really just hit you in the chest, you know? So you would go and, and see a band and you would just really feel it. And I feel like that's important, like, because you're kind of, you physically connect with the sound, you know? And, and I know there's like a harmful element to it if mm -hmm. it's too much, but there's just something about that that you just can't get. You can obviously listen to music in your car and in your earbuds and you can connect in your own way, but like live, you're really forced to share that energy with everyone else. So like if you're up for it and you, and you get involved, you know, you, you're just kind of transcending and like connecting in such a way. I think I saw uh, Zayo last there. Oh yeah. Right, 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 right. And it was just so punishing. And the singer, I, I want to say it was Jesse at the time and he had just gotten his neck tattooed and so it was all bandaged up and he's screaming and I could see his neck moving and all I could think was that has to be the most painful <laughs> thing ever. And I'm just sitting there just getting pummeled. Like the bass is like just smacking me. Um, you know, people are, are shoving around and, and it was awesome because I was totally lost in that. That's something that I, that I had a harder time doing as I've gotten older. Like I have like more social and crowd anxiety. So I like, I don't want people touching me, spilling their drinks on me, mm -hmm. but there is something to say about, just letting that go and just losing yourself you know it's like that like third or fourth day on like a, a van and trailer tour with a band where you're just like i'm okay with not showering for a couple of days you know you break that <laughs> that seal of comfort and then you're fully like this road warrior or, or this this person at the show that's connected finally you know yeah it's just it's cool so it's all about just like letting go It is time to do some of the ad reads, but I want to talk about a bunch of stuff in these ad reads. Not only do I want to thank the men and women that make the show possible, and I'm talking about the sponsors, I'm talking about 
Our great sponsors that have been with us for a long time, the dudes over at Puget Systems. I'm also talking about Quasar Science, and I'm also going to talk about our brand new sponsor, Black Magic, and the shit that Black Magic enabled me to do on this recent production. Really cool stuff. And then our old buds are back, ICANN's back. They actually helped me out with this production as well. Um, but before I get into all this, you've heard me on prior episodes talk about Audible go through the process of signing up for a free trial at Audible and going, and each person that signs up for a free trial, it ends up putting money in our pocket. This was working for quite some time, quite some time. And then, I don't know when it happened, it was a few months ago, I stopped getting any sort of correspondence from them at all. So when you sign up to be a sponsor with Audible, they sign you up with this secondhand company. It's like Bridge Media or something like that. Those of you who run podcasts, you know what I'm talking about. And so they give you um, assistance from like this other company. So it's like, uh, what's the way? It's not, it's kind of like a tech support guy that's assigned to your case, right? And this is someone that I would talk to frequently about setting up the account and getting everything going. Well, I hadn't heard shit from them in months. And I know you guys have been going and signing up for trials and doing all that stuff. I haven't seen any of the fucking income from that. So. I went, okay, I got to find out what's going on. Let me contact the guy. Nothing. Returned email, error messages, error messages. All right, let me sign in and let me log into the thing that I have set up at Audible. Nothing. Let me write to their customer support. Return, error message, error message. This is fucking Amazon. So I'm sitting there going like, what the fuck? How many of you guys have signed up in the past three months and I haven't even seen anything from it? So don't sign up for a free trial at Audible. We're fucking done with them. It just pisses me off. I'm gonna try to find some new affiliate programs for you guys to sign up for. What are you interested in? There's a bunch of stuff. I think there's some stuff for food. There's some stuff for pets. I know, I think it would be quite ironic if I started to run like dog ads on the show. <laughs> but there's stuff for pets. Let me know what you guys are fascinated in and let you guys wanna sign up for. Um, and then I'll set up some sort of affiliate program where you guys get a deal and then we get paid. It's a great way to do it. I always like that idea that I'm not asking you to reach in your own wallet to pay for the show. These companies should be paying for our show. Um, and so don't fucking do the Audible trial right now. I'll let you know if I fix it or if something happens or if there's a miscommunication, but this has been weeks before I get on the microphone and bitch about it that I've been trying to figure this out. Fuck those guys. No. <laughs> uh, but anyway, the people that I do love, the people that continuously support, the people that sur surprise me with how invested they are in this show and in the work are good buddies over at Puget Systems. If you're someone that needs to buy a new computer, if you need a new edit machine, if you need a new sound recording machine, if you're a musician that wants to start laying down tracks, if you're someone that wants to do podcasting, build yourself a PC. Oh my God, he said a PC. Yeah, PC save you money. It's 100% true. They will save you the cash that you need to then invest in other accessories for your computer. Because let's be real, when you buy one of those overpriced machines that you're paying for the unboxing experience on, you still have to buy your third-party software. So you're dropping thousands and thousands of dollars. And does it make sense for you to be indebted on this gear where half the time most of you aren't even charging for your edit sessions? It doesn't fucking make sense to me. When are you ever supposed to make that money back? And do you still feel like you're paying these things off well after the hardware becomes uh, out of date 
because of their software updates that are just outdating the hardware. It's this fucking torturous loop that we're in. The subscription loop that we all live in right now, where we just continuously have that charge being pulled out of our account every month. I would much rather build myself a machine that I can afford, build myself a machine that is fast and upgradable and customizable. Like we are still running a Puget system that I've had for seven years. And recently we had some errors and issues, seven years, and we're just gonna upgrade pieces of hardware in it. It'd be good to go. I don't know, 200 bucks, 300 bucks, good to go. Remember those days? Oh, right, because it does exist that way. These are tools, it's like buying a fucking hammer. It's like buying a shovel. This thing's supposed to dig dirt until it can't dig dirt anymore, until the fucking handle breaks. That's what I want for my computers. That's what I want for my edit systems. So go check them out. Go buy a Puget system, build yourself a machine that is beefy as fuck, because right now, with this new project that I shot, we shot it on the Blackmagic. That's all 6K stuff. I'm running raw Blackmagic 6K files in my Premiere timeline with ease. With ease. All right, so definitely check it out. If you guys wanna know what my system specs are, write to me. Say, hey Mike, I'm listening to the show. I'm listening to the ad reads. What are your system specs? I'll let you know. Head on over to PugetSystems.com and check out what they have available. Build a machine based upon the software you use. Uh, that's PugetSystems.com. Link below the episode. Click the link below the episode. Click the link, because the link is a traceable link. <laughs> Uh, okay, also, uh, Quasar Science. Good buddies over at Quasar build amazing LED light units. I actually used some of these recently on the production. I love their bicolor LED tubes. I love their rainbow LED tubes. Really rad stuff. A light that you can hold like a fucking lightsaber and program all sorts of different effects into. And why is that valuable to you? Well, A, it's a very small footprint as far as gear is concerned. So if you're driving around a hatchback, you can totally fit a really great kit in the back of your car. Um, it also doesn't require a lot of power. So you can do some pretty big light setups with multiple lights, chain them all together, and not have to get your hands on a generator, not have to get your hands on large power sources. That's a great thing about LEDs. Uh, and the light output and the quality of output off of a Quasar unit is always on point. So each and every one of their units match color temp. So when you're in the color correction process, the post end, you're not sort of dealing with the shift to magenta from that piece of shit LED unit that you got discounted off of eBay from China that has really crappy LED units inside of it. Do yourself a favor, buy yourself a rig that will stand up to the rigorous stuff that you put it through on set. The thing that's fascinating about Quasar is that this company was founded and put together by gaffers, by people that work on set. Dudes that are continuously fighting and trying to deal with that hodgepodge kit that you as a DP put together on based upon parts that you bought on eBay. And they're like, oh great, so how long is this fucking like uh, uh, gaffer's tape gonna hold the transmitter on this fucking thing? You know what I mean? Do the, do the right thing, buy yourself a sweet, dependable tool. Once again, here's the theme. 
buy yourself a tool that you can depend upon, head on over to Quasar Science, see what they got in the works right now. They got a bunch of new, really great rainbow tubes that have all new mounting gear that's with them. That was my issue that I had with the older stuff, is that I always felt like I was gonna break it, the way you had to slap the tubes into like the clamps. I always felt like it was gonna break. They changed the entire rigging system for this. Super sturdy, super reliable, really great stuff. Head on over to quasarscience.com. All right, lot to say about our big sponsor on the show, Black Magic. So, ended up hooking up with these guys. Again, it's been a few years since I've talked to them. I hooked up with them a few weeks ago. I had a new project coming up, which is this thing I just directed. And uh, it has been with COVID and then the move, it had been about two years since I had picked up a camera myself and shot and DP'd a project at the same time, directed and DP'd a project. And so uh, I needed a new camera and it's been a while. I don't know what I wanted on the marketplace. I sure shit not gonna go out and buy myself an Aerie Alexa. I, I just don't have the cash for that. Um, and uh, if I was gonna work with Crew Dog or if I'm working with a, with a cinematographer, I'd either get their package in and we'd rent a larger package. But for production like this, I really needed to have something in my hands. And it's been a while since I've done it. So I wanted a few weeks to play with it and test it and see what codecs work and what codecs don't work. There's always all the testability that needs to happen. Testability, I like that, don't you? Um, and uh, Blackmagic has kind of been on my radar. Everybody has been saying, look, if you're looking for something better than prosumer and something that sort of falls right underneath an Alexa, something that has raw capabilities, then you should definitely check out the new Pocket Cinema Camera 6K Pro from Blackmagic. And so I did. And the thing I liked about it the unit itself is pretty sturdy. It's like a larger DSLR. And it's weighted pretty well. I ended up putting it on a handle and rail system. There are a bunch of different options for how you can power it. We got our hands on like the battery accessory that slaps underneath. It reminds me of those old battery mounts for the DSLRs where you could fit in a few different battery units. Uh, the one negative thing that I've always been like, what? With the Blackmagic stuff, is that they don't give you a charger. You have to charge with the camera. And I'm like, mm, I don't know how I feel about that. And so I wanted to look into alternate ways to power it. I talked to my boys over at ICANN uh, and they sent me over um, a plate, like a V-mount plate. I had a bunch of V-mount batteries, which were really great. Um, so I ended up building out this V-mount power system for the camera that worked really well. Um, and thankfully, uh, not only did I use the Blackmagic camera, but I also got to rent from my buddies over at Able Cinema. And I'm, this isn't a true ad read for those guys because I want them to sponsor the show, but I love them. So uh, I got to hang out with Able, and uh, those guys are so helpful. This is, I, you've heard me in the older episodes talk about the benefits of using a rental house as opposed to like either using like a share fucking app for gear or using uh, like a, an internet website for gear. If you use a rental house, uh, you get to go in and check it out. You get to test everything, you get to set it all up. And it always happens this way, right? No matter how good the rental house is, no matter how good you think you are in ordering your equipment, you get there, you unbox it and you go, okay, so here's the wireless unit. Where's the fucking HDMI cable? Is there an HDMI cable? There is an HD, there is one in the box. When you're in a rental house, you can turn to the guy and go, hey, can I get an HDMI cable? 
just that. And he goes, yeah, totally. And then we were hooking up this old uh, sled rig that I had for um, the battery stuff. And we ended up plugging in a large battery source and the fucking, you heard it pop. Like whatever sort of condenser was in this thing just exploded. And this happened in the, in the shop. This was one of my pieces, one of my pieces of gear that I've had for a while. The thing just exploded. And we, for a fucking hot second, we thought we blew up the fucking camera. But it just turned out to be this little battery plate. And so I was able to turn to the guys and go, hey, can we build a new battery plate setup? And the, the dudes at Able were super excited about it. They actually had to build me something custom that worked for it. They went in the back and they wrenched this thing together and attached it with a bunch of little details and came out and they said, try this out. And it worked even better than before. I'm telling you, there's something so great about making sure that you work with rental houses because you have that support. Um, but anyway, so I got to play with the Blackmagic camera. We shot this new piece, 6K raw, um, and we put it really put it through our paces because it was hot as fuck last week. Uh, here it's, we've had obviously a heat wave, uh, and I we were shooting outside in the fucking sun at one point, and it was like just about 100 degrees out there. And I'm like, this thing's gonna fucking overheat. It has to overheat. And it's got it's got its fans and it. it's got really good ventilation and it's capturing fucking 6K. It didn't. And then whatever they use to compress, whatever codec they're using to compress the video footage seems to work really well. I had to install codec updates. I had to install a few different things from Blackmagic to get it to run in Premiere correctly. And I'm about to start the edit project. So I'll give you guys an update on whether or not it works really well. But so far, playback seems to not have an issue. Um, I actually got to build out a LUT. So I had custom LUTs for two different looks that had happened in this project. And I got to load them into the camera and then the camera will run them out either to the viewfinder or to run it out to the external monitor without baking the LUTs onto the footage. And the benefit of that for me is that I can then light the scene to see how it affects the LUT, which I love. I love to do that. I'm not one of these guys that's like, shoot it flat, and then we'll fucking grade it in post because all that grading looks boring. I like having a LUT on the camera so that I can light it. See how like, what happens if we turn that unit more into the lens? What does that do to the LUT, right? Super cool shit. So I really enjoyed that about this camera. Uh, functionality wise, it was pretty easy to use. I got to work with uh, my buddy, Mike Tran. He came on to do the assistant camera stuff. He killed it, uh, ran through the whole thing with me. Um, it made it happen. Really had a good time with this camera. So I can't wait to put the footage through its paces before I give it an official thumbs up. I'm gonna put the footage through its paces this week, see how the color holds up, um, see how it holds up running it in Premiere. I know Blackmagic is uh, big on their Resolve and they're trying to push Resolve for editing. Give me some time, fellas. Resolve is still really great for color grading. Give me some time on the editing, all right? I really like what I'm doing over in Premiere and all my fucking clients are using Premiere. So give me some time, all right? Um, but uh, very excited. Very happy that these guys signed up. I can't say enough great things about them. So make sure you go check out blackmagic.com and I'll be posting pictures and images and some behind the scenes stuff, hopefully uh, in the next few weeks. You guys will get to see the kind of stuff I shot with this the camera. The camera that a lot of you have, because 
I did posts on uh, my Instagram account asking what cameras you guys use, and a lot of you have this rig, or the old version, not necessarily the pro version. Um, so far, so good. I know Ryan Conley likes this rig, and I can see why. Um, so go check out Blackmagic. Uh, let's see, who do we forget? We got them, we got ICAM, we got them, we got them. I think we're good. I think that's all the ad reads for the show. So let's get back into it with Davey. We talk about filmmaking a lot on this show. And I to connect the dots here a little bit, uh, I think that's the big reason why I love going to cinema still, in movie theater still, because <clears throat> when I go watch an action, like what did we just see? We just saw uh, the, Su- the Suicide Squad, which was great. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, being there present with a great sound system and those subwoofers, and then feeling those gunshots and feeling that stuff in your chest and in that air, in the air around a film, it's kind of similar to just a lot, not as loud, but it's kind of the same vibe that you would get going to see a live show, you know? I I agree, yeah. I want to say it was like Cloverfield where I first felt in a theater like the power of like the 3D audio. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't don't know if it it would be considered like 5.1 or something, but... Oh, these days it's like 24.1 or whatever it is. Jesus, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I just remember like the jets flying by and it went from like right to left and around me. And I was just like, man, this is the way, this is why we got to see films in theaters like yeah. this. You know, <laughs> I, I just recently watched uh, Suicide Squad. And one thing I kept thinking, the uh, uh, spoiler alert mm-hmm. is the, uh, the kaiju at the end. It, it reminded me of uh, Shumagarath from uh, Marvel. Oh. And it, it, it's like almost uncanny, like the resemblance. So I'm thinking, like, do they do this on purpose? Like, I know that there's a lot of like crossovers. Like, there are similar characters, like Flash and Daredevil. You know, they they look the same. They kind of have a similar thing going on. But do, were, were you feeling that too? I don't know. Yeah, if there was. Aware. There's definitely a bit of that. But that movie in general was kind of fascinating because it was kind of the result of James Gunn getting temporarily canceled or Im- right. improperly canceled and Marvel just losing their balls and just being like, yeah. get out of here, James. He's like, fine. <laughs> so the, he goes over to D, uh, to DC and just, and Warner Brothers and just destroys it. Like it, it yeah. so you can feel when you're watching that film, there's, there's a whole lot of like, okay, you guys sent me away, so check this out. And bringing like all the best of what he was doing from Marvel to that. So I wouldn't be surprised if there was a level of that in there. Yeah, I love that. Like the the gloves are off, you know, like the the gore and you know the oh things of God. that nature. Yeah, it was like, and it wasn't unsettling because it just was done in such a comical way. But the the details were all there. Like when uh, 
when uh, Blackguard gets his face blown off. I was just like, oh my god. It was so detailed and raw, but at the same time, it was comical still. It was just like, he found a, a way to like put all these things into the same place correctly. Like, you know, I got those feelings of uh, like the, the rated R films that were just still mm-hmm. really funny and like mm-hmm. playful. Like, you, even just like something stupid like Howard the Duck or, or the old <laughs> animated like heavy metal series. Like, I was getting all those feelings again. You know, I thought it was really cool. I, I people can say what they want about the film, but I, I thought it was great. I did too. Really, yeah, I did too. Yeah. I, I just loved that there was no limitations being imposed and he was able to just, just do what he wanted to do. And I, I would love to see that more often. Yeah, I did. You know what? And a lot of people forget that he comes from Troma. So he started it like a Troma film. So he was oh, wow. Lloyd. He was a screenwriter for Lloyd. Uh, and so, yeah. So you still get that vibe. <laughs> you, yeah. you still get like that gory comedy vibe. Um, it's funny. He also did like the live action Scooby-Doo movies. Very strange. <laughs> Very strange. I never saw those. I know that there was a lot of good like spinoff memes and like porn parodies because <laughs> of them. But <laughs> I think that was the goal. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they nailed it. And it's, it's brilliant, you know, from a, a viral standpoint. Yeah. No, he kills it, man. Like all his films. I mean, Slither is amazing. And, and that's oh, yeah. totally a play on the old Night of the Creeps. Um, mm-hmm. you know, like he definitely has a love of genre and, and, uh, it's just, like you said, it was very refreshing to watch a movie where, um, he had sort of the guts to push the limits and like spoilers, everybody, but murder off main characters that were part of that franchise. Um, and, you know, really put you, made the audience uneasy because you didn't know what was going to happen to who. And, uh, it, it really made it exciting. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I I love that. I think that you know that uh, when I hear people discussing the film or criticizing it, I, I think they're forgetting like like we've literally you know lived through like generations of films that are just being censored and mm-hmm. and being brought up against these like standards that they can't cross for you know the investors or whoever. And and it's like to be able to to see a a film that's that big and that has that that big of a marketing campaign behind it, just do what it wants is, is fantastic. Like if we could get that more often, you know, like we would have had uh, Wolverine done right. Like yeah. from the beginning, you know, we would have seen the the claws going through guys. We've seen the blood spray. Like that's, that's what I want. Like, you know, I, that, I grew up on the comics and I want to see the violence in the, the mm-hmm. grit of the comics as well in, in film. You know, I don't want to feel like Disney has a touch on this, you know, like, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be super difficult at this point to get that movie that we want. Because I, I had this conversation with my writer the other day, and he's like, what Marvel movie would you do? And I'm like, I know it's been done, but fuck, man, I'd love to do a, like a really mean Wolverine movie. Oh, yeah. But the problem is, is it wouldn't be PG-13, you know? So it would be, it would be hard to do that. I'm curious to see as they, as the, you know, the new Mouse Ears Marvel sort of progresses and we get into, you know, the Punisher and, and all like sort of the Marvel Knights sort of rated R characters, if they're going to allow them to be rated R. It's crazy to fucking think that that company not only owns all that shit, but owns Die Hard. They own fucking like aliens. They own all of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and those franchises are, you know, notoriously violent. Yeah. <laughs> you know, especially, especially the aliens. I mean, you, you have to see that, yeah. that tongue burst through the back of a head at some point in the film you know um yeah it's it's really interesting like to see where they go with it i I hope they 
I feel like they're always going to be worried they're not going to, you know, hit their hit their money marker if they're rated R, but I don't know. I just I just know that when I was a kid, I was still getting into rated R movies. So I always found a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, dude, and, and you know what? Because this is actually relevant to what we're talking about. So a lot of this stuff is nostalgia, right? So it's all uh, pre-existing uh, IP uh, that uh, they don't really have to work that hard on to get people into the seats. And then as older, an older generation of, of comic book nerds like we are and the generations that are below us, we're just sort of wrapped up in this nostalgia stuff. And you could even say the same thing about synth pop and new retrowave. And when I started listening to that stuff, it felt very nostalgic. But what I find fascinating about the, that genre now is that it's developing into something else. And the like the roots of that may have been painted by, you know, John Carpenter and, and like old Madonna tracks and all that, but it's starting to morph into its own lane and start to become its own creature. I, I hope the same thing happens for films right now. Like it's great. You know, we have a fucking Marvel movie that comes out like, you know, what, five times a year at this point. I really want to focus more on the uh, independent filmmakers or the younger filmmakers that are making new characters, new IP and, yeah. and seeing new IP created. Uh, tonight, I'm going to see The Green Knight, which I'm really excited to see. Oh, I can't wait to see that. Yeah. yeah let me know how it is. Yeah, man. Um, but anyway, that was a, a fucking mini rant. <laughs> but Oh, you know, I, you know I, I, I agree with what you're saying completely. And, I, you know, one thing I noticed with, like, Netflix and the fact that there's all this streaming is, like, they, they had so much money and they're just throwing it at, like, scripts that normally wouldn't get a chance, you know, or they would be considered too wild or too bizarre to, like, you know, have, like, that, that major treatment. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's cool. Like, that, that makes me excited, you know. Obviously, I want to see more things coming out on the big screen. Like, I want that experience. But... Mm-hmm. The idea that there's that competition now, you know, so maybe it's going to make these bigger studios step up their game for their releases and and put out some, you know, wilder sci-fi and horror that, you know, we wouldn't normally get a chance to see. And, uh, you know, before we go too far past it, speaking of IPs, like I just heard about the uh, the Predator like prequel that they're, they're working uh, on. Did you're, you no, on you're ahead of me on this. So what, what did you hear? Oh, okay. So I supposedly there's like an outline for it that's concrete and it's like the first predator to come to earth. Uh, it'll be like a, a female led role. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, it, so I've heard two things. I've heard it'll be the, the very first predator to ever come to earth. And then I've also heard that it's the predator that Arnold faced, but, uh, hmm. that, I feel like that would spoil too much because a, a predator has to, to win or die, right. you know? So, um, but I'm I'm excited for that because like I keep wanting to see Predator like be done justice. I feel like the the last film that came out, um, it, it just was not. I wasn't too stoked yeah. on it. Like, um, yeah, which was just, a bummer because it was Shane Black too, and you're like, oh yeah. shit, everything's here. The 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 recipe's here for this, and it just it didn't it didn't work. You know exactly. Yeah, I just felt like they they kind of missed the mark. Like there was it felt like when uh, you know the first three Star Wars films came out, it was like oh the. <laughs> There was somewhere along the lines. This was at the kids were added to the formula. <laughs> like let's entertain the kids, you know. So yeah, it, it was a little heartbreaking, and I just want to see that that franchise done justice. You know, like just like every time a new Aliens video game comes out, I'm like, please let this be a good one. <laughs> you know, like like the old Alien versus Predator. PC oh, I love that game. I remember those oh. games, man. I played that game for hours. We used to have LAN parties Same. and play that game. Yeah. 
That's so good. Oh, oh that Kim was fucking great. You know, dude, I agree with you on Predator. I've always like I've got a pitch for Predator that'll never get made. Uh, mm. But if I did Predator, I would essentially rip off the Seven Samurai. So I would rip oh. off Seven Samurai and have there be zero humans in the movie. <laughs> so there'd be yeah. no humans, and you would follow a pack of predators going on one of their uh like their hunting missions or one of their like coming of age missions with a younger predator and if you wanted to roll aliens back into it i'd drop them on a planet and have them like have it go wrong and have them try to fight their way out and survive from God, love like that. an alien thing and i think it'd be great and if you it's just no one's got the balls to <laughs> i should change that word no one has the 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 What's the word I'm looking for? Because balls is the first word that comes to me. <laughs> the gall. The gall. No one has the gall to. <laughs> it's so it's like ball. Yeah, it's so stupid. Uh, <laughs> no one has the galls to 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 uh, make a movie without humans in it, and make a movie that doesn't have like. Because every time we pitch something, it's always like, well, "What's the connection?" and how do they? How does the audience identify with them? And it's like this is the same audience that'll sit oh. around all day and look at dog videos of cute yeah. puppies doing stuff. So why don't we just have them identify with the predators? And if you have such a, a basic uh, story structure, very similar to like Mad Max uh, Fury Road, where it's like they have to do A plus B equals C and see them go through this process, you'd be enthralled with it and completely stuck with Absolutely. it. Absolutely. You know? I love it. Yeah. I mean, look at like the Dark Crystal, like, you know, you're connecting with, with these supernatural things that yeah. are, you know, human. But I, I feel like it's the same... Uh, the same problem where they're they're always like if there was a cool comic book character that has a mask they they can't unmask or they can't keep the mask on through the whole movie it's like we have to show the actor's face it's like no like you have you literally have sylvester stallone voicing a shark and and we never see him but that's like the one of the best characters in the film you know it's like it, it's just that they're not willing to take chances and uh it's unfortunate because your your idea is is brilliant. I would watch that all day. That'd be super interesting. Oh. You know, even if it, like after watching uh, Love, Death, and Robots, mm -hmm. some of the new episodes. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's Snow in the Desert was one of the newer episodes. Mm -hmm. uh, that was mind blowing to me. I was I was looking at that and I'm like the potential of this this technology. I think it's ready now for an entire film to be you know made like this because I almost couldn't tell half the time that I was looking at CGI. Oh, dude, it's crazy! Um, it's crazy. And yeah, and it's it's so cool because it it just opens up the possibilities of like you know showing these these uh, anatomically different aliens and and the gore and the the action like so it, my eyes still believe that it was real but then i'm seeing it and i'm like this is this is like just phenomenal so i could almost see you know your idea being done with that technology as well mm -hmm. and I, I think that's less of a gamble for a studio right if like they're using that technology as opposed to actually shooting on set and you know potentially potentially maybe if it was animated they'd let you do it <laughs> like if it's yeah you know if they're like well this isn't live action so yeah all right you know can the predators speak english <laughs> that would be, yeah yeah <laughs> that's, yeah, that's they, somehow they would have like a british accent yeah. like what, what was the movie was it like enemy at the gates or something where they're, they're all germans but they all just have british accents and speak english oh, like, yeah dude i i think I think my favorite language uh, barrier uh, being broken in a movie was was in um, uh, the third was it the Thirteenth Warrior the Antonio Banderas John McTiernan oh. movie with the Vikings and so I, oh no so ben, Banderas plays plays like a like a sheik 
uh, from like the, from the Middle East, and so he gets he gets like mixed in with Vikings, and and in the opening of the movie, it's so well done. In the opening of the movie, he's just sort of like sitting around campfires and looking at these guys with long hair, and they're all like speaking a different language, and he slowly picks up words, and so eventually it goes from like whatever like Nordic tongue that they're speaking in. Suddenly, every once in a while, you'd hear like eat food and suddenly everything translates into english (laughs) so good i I have to watch this tonight oh it's so good oh it's it's directed by john mctiernan who also did predator and did die hard and uh the lead in it um the lead viking is uh i think he was one of the bad guys in die hard i think he was was he tell Carl your brother's dead? I think he was that guy. I, I can't remember. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, um, but that movie's, I, I love the shit. That movie, speaking of Seven Samurai, that is essentially Seven Samurai. Is Okay. It, it's literally the same story structure. They just swapped out the samurai with uh, with Vikings. And for some reason, yeah. through Antonio Banderas. <laughs> Wow, that, I, I have to watch. I can't believe I missed that. I mean, I remember seeing it like advertised and promoted, but I never, I never checked it out. Uh, it's wonderful. Oh. It's wonderful. <laughs> McTiernan action trash. It's just really good for it. That's great. Yeah. The, what was the uh, the Predator that came out where they were? It was just all a bunch of bad people that were on like a prison. Oh plane. yeah, was that was Robert Robert Rodriguez's Predator. Yeah, yeah. He wrote that one and. I forgot the guy that directed it. He was pretty good. That one was okay. Um, I liked the yeah. It had moments. Yeah, I liked the vibe of it. But then, yeah, you just so, you get caught up in like the the human element of it, and you're like, well, yeah, it doesn't fucking who cares? There's a yakuza here, and he's got to fight him with the sword. Yeah. So that, that that's what brought that to mind is you know we're talking about swords and samurais. That the scene where he pulls the sword out and rushes the. <laughs> The predator in the tall grass like that was that was cool like i kind of got a little bit of a, a chub like thinking about the possibilities of you know the the different like fights through history sure. I, I remember um jimmy sullivan from Revenge sevenfold and his roommate cam rackham at the time when i first moved to orange county we would all sit around on the couch and we'd watch uh alien and predator films and smoke cigarettes and drink whiskey and we would just talk about like the lore and just totally nerd out on it like the director's cut of alien where you see Mm -hmm. the uh the space jockey and and i just remember just my mind was blown i'm like oh my god there's all this like unwritten like lore and history i gotta find out everything so we looked up in predator 2 the story like he gets handed that that uh um I don't even know what it's called. It's like a black powder gun, you know, from like the pirate era. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, Danny Glover. Yeah. 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 No. Yeah. So, so I never thought about it as a kid watching the film and then we looked at it and I, and I kind of did a little search on the internet and there's like a whole comic series that was written where like a predator comes and fights pirates and is defeated. And I was like, that's the, the coolest thing ever. Like, you know, you got <laughs> predators going through time, fighting different warriors from different eras with the weaponry and like they always match their, you know, their game in some way or another to give them a, a fighting chance. Um, and, I, and I just kept thinking like, man, like they need to just keep going on this series. It's one of my favorite series. <laughs> like it's just such a cool premise. I even enjoyed Alien vs. Predator, the films. Like a lot of people, you know, didn't like them, but I just thought it was such a cool idea. Like, yeah. you know, and yeah. I'd love to see that explored more and done justice. And I feel like they're always just trying to, to, uh, bring back the nostalgia from the first film. Exactly. And that's the main focus. It's like, let's move past that. Like, just do something really cool. You got a lot to work with here, you know? 
Uh, yeah, so the, dude, the comics are so fucking great. Like, I I got lost in uh, like Dark Horse was putting them out for quite some time, and they were doing like yeah. the Predator books, and then they did the Alien first Predator stuff, and that's really where that came from. And then, uh, you know, then they were doing weird. They were doing like Alien vs Predator vs Terminator, and they were just sort of mixing yes. all these different <laughs> things, which were really fun to read. Or like Alien vs Predator vs Judge Dread. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Uh, it, it, Remember uh, Robocop versus Terminator? Yes. Yes. Yes, man. That's those, pretty cool. Those books are great. Or um, one of my favorite Predator books was the the Batman versus Predator ones. And Oh, yeah. Okay. That's, so that is a real thing. In my head, I'm like, did I imagine this? But okay. No. That's, that's awesome. There was a really cool... There was a really cool run of it. I, they've done a couple of versions of it, but I think the first one, it was illustrated by uh, Andrew Kubert. I think that's his name. And really great. And Batman gets his fucking ass kicked. So <laughs> Predator shows up, kicks his ass, barely, like, practically kills him, semi like temporarily blinds him. So Batman ends up designing a suit that is a uh, like a sonic suit, so, sort of like oh. using sonic like bat sound waves to sort of figure out where the predator is it's a really yeah. fucking great story um that they'll never make but it was oh man it was really fun and then recently because now that marvel has all that stuff like um they started putting them out i think on marvel and they have an alien versus predator run that's pretty good that follows essentially the woman character from the alien vs predator movie so it's, it's it's similar to her character that like fights alongside the predator and they fight the queen in the books they have a character that's in the future that's kind of like that and uh she ends up training with like a pack of predators that have to fight like a a rival pack of predators <laughs> and that pack of predators has like uh, aliens like dogs so they would have them like oh. chain like hunting dogs and stuff and it was super rad man that book is fucking <laughs> <That's> awesome <really laughs> cool. yeah i i gotta dive into that and start collecting some of these things because that's just so cool like just the possibilities of these these stories that they can only tell in these illustrations because yeah. no company's gonna yeah. take a take a gamble <laughs> on it you know yeah but. it's just because it's so expensive if it wasn't so expensive then we'd see these things and i think ultimately that's the issue with comic book movies in general is that it requires so much money and once you get over a certain price tag uh, even if not there's a lot of greedy companies out there but once you get over a certain price tag then then it's like okay so we need to appeal to like joe dirt that works at the fucking gas station and we need to appeal to you know like the artist in san francisco so how do we make the most vanilla fucking movie possible uh, yeah it's yeah. like i mean it's it baffles me when i see like great films that just don't do well in the box office, but then you'll you'll see people going to see like the thirteenth Fast and the Furious film, and they're like in outer space with like Ludacris. You know, I'm like, how did Alita: Battle Angel do poorly? Like to where we're not sure if we're gonna get a sequel, but somebody will go watch like you know a, a hip hop artist like crash a semi truck into Mars. You know, like I just don't get it. Yeah, it's so weird, man. And then there's a big part of. Because I, I liked Alita. I thought Alita was great. And Me too. Yeah. There's a big part of it, I think, that just comes down to how we're conditioned uh, with marketing these days. And th there's this sense of, there's that sort of endorphin rush that you get when watching something or seeing something that you know from your youth, you know? So like, uh, you know, the He-Man series that they just put on 
on Netflix and the ads for that. And like essentially whatever my Netflix queue is right now, which is, I feel like I'm going to an opium den (laughs) and they're just like, (laughs) yeah, honestly running it into my arm and they're like, Hey, you like this. And you're like, fuck. (laughs) Um, so it's hard to like compete with that rush, like that emotional rush that people are getting from the childhood stuff with original content, with original IP. Um, because people right. are like, I don't know what this is, and why does she look weird, and what's with her fucking big eyes, and you know, yeah, yeah, you you get there, you f- you find out, but you have to like invest. And the marketing sucks because like you know the trailer comes out, and they just want to show you like the most mm-hmm. eye catching popping thing, and you really don't you don't get an idea of what you're getting into, but for some reason they'll show you like three scenes that are very obviously the final scenes of the film almost every time in these trailers, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, there was a really interesting, because as a filmmaker, I have to deal with that all the time. And there's, I think it was Robert Rodriguez that was talking about it. Someone was talking about it where they were saying the trick is when you're designing a movie in the second act, put in set pieces that are trailer worthy. So that way that you don't have to put in the set pieces from the third act to give it away. Oh, that's brilliant! I never, I never would have thought about that. That you're you're thinking ahead to the trailers at the oh, time. Oh, dude, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And like studios are consistently thinking about that stuff. And and as you sort of work at lower budgets, and you're playing in the horror genre, especially, it comes down to set pieces. And for those of you listening that don't know what set pieces are, they're essentially the big sequences in movies that the that the movie needs to have in there. And they're usually where the the money's dumped into it. So. If you're thinking uh, uh, like Terminator 2 uh, set pieces, like when Arnold uh, uh, shoots all the cop cars outside the window, like that's a huge fucking set piece that was obviously in the trailer. Um, and so when they're des- when you're designing a movie and they're budgeting out a film, they're like, okay, you have enough money for this many set pieces. And these are the set pieces that you really need to focus on because this is going to be trailer meat. And they usually call it trailer meat. Um, <laughs> and so... Uh, yeah, I think it was Rodriguez that had that quote where he was like, look, the, the trick is to introduce somebody in the second act and do a set piece in the second act that you could put in the trailer so that you don't have to give away any of the, the back end of it. Ah, oh, that's that's brilliant. I, I never would have thought about that, but yeah, I guess I mean it makes sense. You have to think so far ahead on on the marketing because mm-hmm. that's you know the lifeline of the the film. But mm-hmm. well, Wow, what's what's like the most extreme situation you've ever got into with that? Like, has anybody ever forced you to include something because of uh, you know the marketing or? Uh, well, dude, to be honest with you, not yet. So I'm at the point now where I'm in the pre-production stages of two feature films. So I've got one feature film that's actually being produced by Ridley Scott's company, which is really great. Right. Uh, yo, yo, dude, you want to talk about alien stuff? I got to hang out in his office and see all yeah. that stuff. <laughs> uh, but, um, and I'm also doing another one with another production company that I can't say yet, but I can tell you offline. And that one is going sooner. And we're definitely talking about that stuff now in the, in the final script stages and in the pre-production of, you know, what are the set pieces that the audience is going to remember. And, um, you know, when you're writing a script, it's kind of when you're doing the the conceptual stage and you're writing stuff, it's the best part because <laughs> you don't have to pay attention to budget yet. You can really yeah. sort of embellish on stuff. And so our film that we're doing, we have set pieces at the beginning and set pieces in the second act. And what I'd like to try to do is shoot them specifically on set for the trailers 
so that I can just give them trailer meat. Um, yeah. And another really interesting, for all the nerds listening, another really interesting uh, quote from Rodriguez was about trailers. Because usually what happens is that the studio or the distributor, whoever's putting it out, will take the footage and cut their own trailer. And they put it through a marketing department and everybody sort of looks at it. And, you know, there's a whole boardroom full of people, you know, commenting on the font and everything else used in it. Um, but what he does is he'll cut a trailer unpaid. He will do it without being paid for it, not without being asked. He'll cut his own trailer early and then he just sends it to them. He goes, you can use it if you want. Here you go, bam. And sends it off to them knowing that they're still going to go through the process of trying to create their own trailer, but they'll always remember his first. And he goes, what happens is every time they use mine, it always comes back to mine. Um, yeah. And then he can manipulate in that trailer what the set pieces are, what you're giving away, what you're not giving away, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I, I've seen cases where like I watched a trailer and they have you thinking a completely different thing about what you're about to watch and then you see it and you're like, oh my God, I never would have expected that. I I forgot the name of the film, something with the P. It's like Pandora or Pandorum. Oh, where, Pandorum, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I loved that film and I had no idea what I was going in for based on the, the trailers. Um, which I thought was really cool because I'm the type of person where I can just see the emotion on an actor's face mm -hmm. and I know what's going on in that scene. So like I, I watched something recently that hasn't come out yet and I saw the trailer and I'm like, oh, this actor is about to die. He's like surprised that he's about to be <laughs> shot, you know, and I'm like, well, they just they spoiled it for me. Like, you know, there's so many spoilers. But in the case of uh, Pandora, I, I had no idea what to expect walking in. Um, based on the first trailer I saw. And I was so, so stoked at just how gnarly the film ended up being. Yeah, dude, that's a great one. Ben Foster is in that. And then uh, Dennis, Dennis Quaid. Quaid. Yes. Yeah. Dennis I Quaid. actually met Dennis Quaid years ago. At, uh, <laughs> no shit. It's the most random night ever. And, and uh, Enemy Mine, I, I used to love that film. So mm -hmm. that, that was what I knew him from primarily. And uh, I was at South by Southwest. I was assigned to Metal Blade Records and I was playing showcases with my band Don of Ashes at the time, cool. which is all, you know, cinematic horror themed. Like, um, we did, we did our music video with Robert Kurtzman and his company cool. in uh, Ohio. And it was a lot of fun. It was just a fun project to be involved with because of all the, the horror film love and the things we were doing on the side. But, uh, anyways, we're in South by Southwest. Our manager at the time is also managing Skrillex and they're like, well, Skrillex is playing a, a private, like VIP show with Duran Duran uh, at like 1 a.m. at this venue. So you guys are welcome to come. Cool. We get there and uh, we, get, we start walking through the hallway to the green rooms and coming around the corner just like just wasted is <laughs> Dennis Quaid with I, I believe is his wife. I'm not sure. But we just we just run right into each other and I just look at him and all I can think to say is enemy mind. <laughs> And then he just kind of smiled and nodded, and then we, we kept going our, our separate ways. But, dude, it was it was just such a random encounter. But, um, yeah, that, that, that movie was fantastic. I feel like, you know, they do – they reboot and they remake a lot of films nowadays. That mm -hmm. would be a cool one to see, mm -hmm. to, you know, done with a large budget. Mm -hmm. He's a great actor, man. All his stuff, like uh, Inner Space. He was in Inner Space. What else was he in that was really great from that time period? He's so good, man. Yeah, I, in my head, I'm always confusing him with Kevin Costner. So I'm like, yeah. I'm like, oh, he's angels in the outfield, like no. you know, just... yeah, revenge. No, that's all Kevin Costner. <laughs> um, dude, yeah, like, um, 
I love what a movie nerd. It's great. Like I've, I love where this episode's gone. We've really gone in a good place with the movie nerd stuff. And um, yeah, that, you know, I, I have just a couple friends that are movie nerds like me, and and so whenever new trailers come out, we'll share them with each other. And, uh, you know, like Green Knight, my friend Scotty, <laughs> he's a Steadicam operator, and you know, he works with the NFL and everything. He loves camera. We both grew up in Burbank together around the film business. My dad's actively involved in the film business and, mm-hmm. uh, you know so we, we both love it and we both love cinema and, and going to the movies so we're always trying to keep each other up and there's a there's a lot of stuff we get excited about and then i never see anything you know it doesn't come out or i never yeah. hear about it again yeah um, yeah well it's what a, was it antlers the yeah that was uh, guillermo was producing that one right it was yeah well yeah i'm i'm so excited to see that but I, I have no idea what's going on with it or what happened to it i mean obviously covid but like where is it now? I don't. You, normally, here's what. Normally, what happens is uh, if you can't find a movie and you're like, where did it go? Just check Shutter. <laughs> most of the oh, time, okay. most of the time, Shutter just picks up all that stuff. And so, like, you go and and their their new lineup is pretty crazy because they were exclusively getting a lot of SpectreVision stuff. So they had like Mandy, they had all that, and then I loved Mandy. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. And then. Um, uh, recently, they just picked up a bunch of new stuff, which was really fascinating. So Shutter seems to be the place that's gobbling up a lot of like the indie horror stuff that that doesn't have a spot to go. And as a as a filmmaker, it's kind of scary to 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 go into like a streaming platform stuff because like if Netflix showed up and they were like, "Cool, we want to finance your next movie," I go, "Yeah, great, but wh- how, where is it going to go? It's going to end up on some like deep queue somewhere, and then may- maybe you and I will have it on our queue as we're like running out of whatever heroin comes out of whatever '80s thing that they have, and they're like, yeah. Here, here's a new one. Try this out,' you know. But so the releases f- for a lot of the stuff that we see trailers for aren't that big and epic. Um, right. And so I get it, dude. It's hard. There's a bunch of films that I was really fucking pumped about too, that I'm like, where did those go? And are they out? And did they get released anywhere? And are they in yeah, the- it's, yeah, man. It's so oversaturated now. It feels like and, and at first it was like, okay, this is, there's a lot of cool stuff that can come of this, but now it's like, yeah, you could really get buried under a, a lot of different things. If, if the release isn't, you know, like nurtured and, uh, I, I have all these streaming services I subscribe to, but I just get fatigued. Like I mm-hmm. start searching for something to watch and I end up just going on YouTube and, and watching, you know, like Joe Rogan for a little while or something. Like I just, <laughs> I just get worn out. I'm like, I don't know what to watch. I, if I commit to something cause I see a name attached and then it's not great. Like I'm disappointed, you know? So yeah, there's, it's really tough. Like I, I think there was a, uh, like a sci-fi Bruce Willis film that just popped up recently. Oh, yes. And, uh, <laughs> I started to watch it and I just couldn't get through it. I was like, man, I like, this is real, you know, this yeah. is like the bargain bin at Walmart. Like, yeah. He's fallen pretty far off of the old, uh, you know, the old, uh, jo- the, uh, John McClane days. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's tough, man. And the other thing about to bring that back to trailers, the thing that's interesting about trailers is you can tell, I can tell within the first two frames of the movie is going to suck. Like you could just, yeah. you could feel the amount of effort that whoever's putting that movie out put into the trailer and you can just sort of, it forecasts whether or not that movie's going to do well. Like it, it's yeah. instantaneous. I, I have a theory. Maybe you can confirm this for me. Um, so whenever I go to a theater and they have those little making of shorts <laughs> in the beginning on a film, my theory is that that film 
is always going to suck. And they they're just pushing it so hard at that point. I, I don't I don't know if that's you know fair to say, but like I feel like that's always been the case where the the films were viewed poorly or been on you know Rotten Tomatoes and done poorly, and they always had those little mini making of mm-hmm. featurettes where the actors talking about it. Yeah, dude. I, I mean. And sometimes when I see that stuff, you go like, "Ooh, they spent a lot of money on this thing, and they're trying, <laughs> they're trying to get that stuff back." Yeah, like the the new one. I don't know. I don't want to talk shit about it, but what's the new Free Guy or the new Ryan Reynolds yeah. movie? Yeah, you've, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you kind of feel that when you when you see the way that they're promoting the shit out of it, where you're like, nah. "Yeah, they're using a, a different film to promote it. It's like <laughs> they're using the Deadpool IP." Yeah, like. yeah, you're like, "Yeah, okay." Uh, that yeah. that one was done. That one was shot back in my hometown of Boston. I know a lot of the guys that worked on that movie. And oh, okay. You know, whatever. You know, <laughs> no no shit talking here. But yeah, it's it's sort of a dead giveaway. Yeah, yeah. It makes you it makes you think. Like I I don't know. Like I remember I would get paid to go to like focus groups when I was younger, <laughs> and, and I would always just be so pessimistic and like cynical, so they wouldn't want to keep me afterwards for like the table talk. <laughs> you know, I just I'd get my check and I'd leave. They'd be like, "How do you like it?" I'm like, oh, I absolutely hated it. This was terrible. <laughs> so I, I almost wonder if like some of these films are are getting those like where they just get the small private screenings and they're getting feedback early on. I mean, I know that they. There's obviously advanced copies for voting and for reviews. Sure, we used to, we used to get the what is it, the Oscar copies or whatever the screeners, yeah, yeah, the screeners copies of stuff, and you know that that was always cool. But like, yeah, sometimes I feel like, man, they they must have put this in front of some people and they just weren't sold on it. So a hundred percent, and I think half the time it's just screening in front of the studio execs, and they're just like, well. Like just just wrap this thing up, and, you know. It's, it's like, oh, I need some extra money for this effect shot. No, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah sorry. Like, That's, get it out of here. <laughs> you'll, you'll end up with like the the reptile from the original Mortal Kombat. Film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah, dude, it's weird, man. It's a, and movies are. It, it's so hard being a filmmaker. And talking shit about any film because I just know how random and how it's like trying to bake a cake in a fucking hurricane. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. so much shit that can fuck it up. And 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 at the beginning, like like we were talking about with the new Predator movie. I mean, like you got Shane Black, who is like every film nerd's uh, favorite writer, and it became mm-hmm. such a great director and had such amazing movies. Um, like uh, uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and all that stuff, and uh, and what was the one with um, oh god, Russell Crowe and uh, what's his name from Drive? Um, oh yeah, I, nice I guys, that nice guys, so good, yeah, so good, fantastic. So he he was in the original too, wasn't he? Yeah, he Shane also Black. had a role yeah. in the original, and they hired him because the 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 history with Shane Black is that he was one of the highest paid uh, spec screenplay writers in the nineties. Like he wow. was in that spec screenplay boom where he was getting millions just on spec scripts uh, and you know he wrote uh the lethal weapon stuff he did um uh my favorite movie last boy scout with bruce willis oh yeah um and i, and I love lethal weapon those are some of my oh favorite my films god so dude Mel gibson fan and then he was doing a lot of work for joel silver the producer joel silver who produced all those movies and also went on to do the matrix movies um and then Joel Silver was like, hey, do you want to come, from what I understand, was like, hey, you want to come do some punch-ups 
on this predator movie that we're doing. So he was <laughs> supposed to come down and go, we'll give you a part in it. Um, and so then he jumped on that. So the forecast for that was great. You know, you have him coming on board and then predators just falls flat. And yeah. they had a lot of trouble with stuff because I, from what I had read, they had shot sequences. He was trying to do predator sequences during the day and they shot entire sequences during the day and they just weren't scary enough. And so then they end up having to reshoot everything for night. So that, oh, man. so like the ingredients were right, but the kitchen was wrong for that. Movie. Yeah. You know, that's a great analogy of a, a cake and a hurricane. Cause like you could be dumping that flour in and it's getting blown <laughs> away by the wind and they got a flourless <laughs> cake, you know, it's, it totally makes sense. That's a great, great analogy. Well, dude, that's what directing is. Directing is, you know, there are all these analogies, like you're strapping to the front of a train and you're just trying to tell people to get out of the way. And it it really just becomes this beast of this larger thing. As soon as money gets involved, it, it starts to run off on its own and you're desperately trying to guide these bulls down the right street. Um, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, and it, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I say that even if a movie's a piece of shit, if it gets made and it gets put out and it gets finished, there's a small miracle that was involved to just get it to that point. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The, the, there's so many elements. Um, you just made me think of a speaking of guiding bulls i uh every now and then i would take pa jobs you know because on, on set because of my dad or mm-hmm. you know my friend's dad if i needed a little extra money so i i would do this i just had all this like spread of of things in the film industry or the, the television industry on my off time from touring so sometimes i'd get picked up and be like a featured extra <laughs> in shows because i had a friend that was like the head of central casting in burbank and oh wow so you'd you'd be watching always sunny or like American Girl and CSI, Grey's Anatomy, and I would just pop up somewhere. <laughs> you know, I'd always be there. They, they'd have me down as like the goth or the punk rock, and it would just be <laughs> me in the same outfit, the same thing, like you know, every time. Um, but I, I got a, I had took a PA job on the show Heroes. Um, oh no shit! Yeah, and we were filming in, in downtown LA, and my job was to lock the sidewalk, and the whole time. I, I'm being like attacked by homeless people the whole time. Like, like, oh, this is your home. No, I'm sorry, you can't go here because they're shooting a scene. You know, it was just, it was just a bad, it was a bad day. And I've always had a, a sense of fashion. Like, I, I've always, you know, taken pride in my coat collection. So I, I would, I would very meticulously pick these things out. And it was a cold day, so I, I remember I, I was wearing a really nice like pea coat. It kind of looked like the, the jacket from Lost Boys that Kiefer Sutherland's wearing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And some some like fingerless gloves and a, and a like a cool like Burberry scarf and the director was was just having the worst time and he was pissed at all the extras and and then he just points at me he's like you <laughs> and he ends up just putting me in the shot like getting rid of all the extras and it's just me because I was the only person that for somehow somehow looked like they actually belonged in that setting you know it was supposed to be like the winter in the in the east coast or something like that but uh yeah, it was it was interesting because it was like the most miserable day, and those, you had all those elements, you know, where they're trying to direct and <laughs> everything's going wrong. And I got pulled off of that terrible job and position, and just just made an extra for the rest of the day, where I ended up getting paid and given like my SAG credits, and you know, that's awesome, dude. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so some episode of Heroes somewhere you'll see me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, you've mentioned it twice. Your dad's in the business. What is your What does your dad do in the business? Yeah. He's he's uh like a transpo guy. He's been three ninety nine Teamster for for a long time. Cool. So he's like one of this one of the seniors. You know, if he's, if you got to drive Tom Cruise, it's probably him. You mm-hmm. know? 
something like that, some s- sort of special trailer they don't trust anybody with, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. So yeah, he's done, he's done that forever. Um, it was actually my my first friend and one of my best friends since kindergarten. His his father owns a lighting company, Lexus Lighting, mm-hmm. and they do all the film rental lighting. And his dad brought my dad into the business and. Yeah, so it, it, that's always been like my my side passion, you know. Like I've worked on set forever. I worked on The Voice. Um, I loved being on the Universal backlot. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Know, so it was like if I'm not going to be on the road doing music or playing shows, like I want to be on set and I want to just be in that ever changing, unpredictable environment where it's, it's super fun, you know. Um, it's a, it, it's crazy because it's also incredibly boring. <laughs> so it's like this mix yeah. of like. Wow, I can't believe that we're lighting a van on fire in the middle of downtown LA and shooting <laughs> guns at it. And then it's like, wow, I can't believe we had to sit around for four hours until they lit this thing and, yeah. and put it up. Um, yeah, waiting to wait. Yeah, it, <laughs> but you know, it makes sense, man, because I would assume that you know, like it's like joining a circus, and I would assume like doing tours with corn is like joining a whole other type of circus where you have all these dudes that are setting up the the stage shows and. All that kind of stuff. It must have been kind of similar. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of times you get to the venue and you're just waiting all day. So, yeah. like, yeah. you know, people wait outside for their uh, their favorite bands, you know, after a show. But uh, if you just go to like the the funnest restaurant or coffee shop near the venue early in the day, you'll probably run into them, you know, because <laughs> we don't have anything to do. We get there, and if we don't have a friend that's local that wants to take us out or show us around, a lot of times we're just going to sit in these green rooms, especially during, like, winter tours, because a lot of the places we play, it's, it's pretty harsh outside. Yeah. So we're just we're stuck. Like, in the, the arena circuit, you know, you're underground, basically, and uh, you're just in these little green rooms with, with poor Wi-Fi service and just <laughs> hoping to <laughs> find some way to pass the time. I would have like my Nintendo Switch or my, you know, my laptop with some films. <laughs> yeah, dude. I, I mean, it's such an eye-opening experience because a lot of people, especially from from our generation, from the from the '90s and the early 2000s, you know, you grew up like uh, looking back at like the touring stories that came out of Led Zeppelin and all these all like these sort of like really crazy adventures that these bands would go on. And then you come to realize that it's it's a whole lot of sitting around, like you're on a bus all fucking day or on a plane getting to wherever it is you're going to go. And then most of the time you're sitting back in some small like fucking <laughs> broom closet that smells like B.O. And you're, <laughs> you know, and you're you're stuck in that. And, and so then it really for a lot of musicians that I have talked to, it, it really just comes down to that, you know, that set like that hour long or like that half hour long set that yeah. they're doing. And, and then the rest of the time is like boredom like just sort yeah. of waiting <laughs> that's so accurate you know a lot of people think uh uh you know this is how rock stars act this is why they they wreck their hotel rooms it's all just boredom <laughs> like you, you got these guys that are you know alcoholics or drug addicts and they're struggling with substance abuse on the road it's because they're a they're bored and b they're lonely half the time because you gotta <laughs> yeah. you leave your girlfriends or wives at home or whatever so it's it's it really just like proves that you know that the whole idle hands uh, mm-hmm. quote <laughs> it's really true you know like if if we were if we were you know playing mini golf all day or riding around on go-karts or at a, a roller coaster and then we get to the venue play our hour-long set it'd be a whole different story you'd have a different class of people you know performing these shows but you know, <laughs> so a lot of people just just sitting alone battling their demons on days off you're too tired to go out so you're just in your hotel room battling your demons you know so um yeah no i, I was having years ago, when i was doing a lot of kill switch stuff i was talking with uh 
with Jesse, the lead singer of that that band, and I was joking with yeah. him. I'm like, because him and I are both foodies and we we love that shit. And I was like, I sh- we should just, I should just go on tour with you, and we should do like a travel cross country uh, barbecue cooking show <laughs> where we just <laughs> yeah. like while we're waiting in the parking lots, let's just set it up and film fucking barbecue shows. That's brilliant, you know? Because yeah. what the fuck else do you have to do? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that yeah, food's a big part of it. Like, you know, that's the most exciting thing to me, at least, when I get to to sit down on a day off in a new town or or somewhere that I'm not that often. I look for like what food I can try that they, they have going on there. Like I found like a, a, a deli sandwich where they just slice open a giant pickle and use that <laughs> as the buns. And I was like, I have to try this. Like I love pickles. I love pastrami. But um, I'll tell you something tragic. I, I'm allergic to three foods that or three ingredients and foods that are just in so many good things. So what? I can't have shellfish. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I can't have anything with wheat or what, what uh, some people would say gluten. Mm-hmm. In a uh, dairy, I can have dairy, but it really it messes me up. It makes me get like rashes on my skin. It's it's kind of bad, but so I I can't have these three things. And I didn't know that for a long time. So I'd be on tour and I'd be miserable. I'd get sick. I would have like skin issues, or I would have seasonal allergies that were just like just just catastrophic. Um, so I had I have a sister who does holistic coaching and nutrition, mm-hmm. and she was like, I think you're allergic to food that you're eating. So I, I want to reset your entire gut bacteria and flora and, and do a candida cleanse with you. And then we're going we're gonna to figure out what you're allergic to. So I'm like, okay. So I did this candida cleanse and it was so crazy. In the first, like, it, I think it lasts like 14 days or more, but the first 12 days I lost like eight pounds. All the wow. pain in my stomach went away. My skin started clearing up. And so um, after the whole cycle was done and I did some new probiotics, I reintroduced wheat and dairy and it was an immediate uh, response from my body it was so crazy it was like somebody was just like grabbing my stomach so you know i knew like just cut those things out it changed my life my health everything but the tragic part about it is i love watching these food shows and these travel <laughs> shows especially like these like mark weens and mm-hmm. the greatest food show ever like i love seeing them go to different countries and like oh we're gonna try these like prawns and all these things that i can't have and i i walk away just starving like wondering how i can find the alternative <laughs> to this so i i always thought like it would be you know there's all these great travel food shows but i want to be like the guy that's allergic to everything and that travels and and takes you to the food places where you can find <laughs> And like the alternatives, like the gluten-free fried chicken that I just ordered the other night, Costa Mesa. <laughs> like, <you know. laughs> That's great. So uh, do you, because you travel in Europe, uh, you've traveled in Europe a lot. Do you have Absolutely. the same reaction to food that's in Europe as you do here in the United States? Is it is it our processing or is it just specifically the the wheat and, the, and all that stuff? Um, I, I want to say that it's just whatever's in that food like you know probably the casein protein or whatever in dairy like messes me up i will say in japan the first thing i did when i got there for the first time was i i was starving it was very late and i wasn't sure if i would accidentally eat shellfish if i couldn't understand the menu Mm -hmm. there was a mcdonald's so i'm like all right i'm just gonna go try mcdonald's and i'm gonna i'm gonna have a full burger with the bun and everything. And then I'm going to take a digestive enzyme and hopefully I can get through the night, you know? Mm-hmm. So I go, I sit down and I get, um, just a, a really good, like bacon cheeseburger or something that they have there. And in Japan, it's like, 
like gourmet. <laughs> and I think the bun was like egg bread or, you know, that yellow bread. Mm-hmm. And I, I ate it and I had no problems. I, I got like emotional. Like there was a tear in my eye. I'm in Japan for the first time, which is my favorite place <laughs> in the world. And I've always wanted to go. Every tour I had booked in the past for Japan fell through. So this was like a big moment. And then I was eating like an actual real burger with the bun again, you know, with some cheese. And it was absolutely delicious. I had no problems. Wow. And then... The funny thing is that there there was an indoor mall and they had a like an American style diner, and so I ordered a BLT. And my guess in Japan they they're so like pure and passionate about their craft that if they're doing an American style diner, they're going to import all their bread from America. That that's my theory. So I eat the sandwich and I got that immediate need to run to the bathroom and the pain. So right. right. Yeah, because it's fast. It's fascinating when I spent some time traveling to Europe and having food in Europe. How different the it really comes down to how the food's processed here in the U.S. So it was it was yeah. when you're having food that's like farm food and that it's farm raised food. It, it it doesn't affect you as the similar way that, that it is here. And I'm not saying that there are folks that are just allergic to like I'm allergic to cats and dogs, and people can't fucking believe that. But like. I get allergies, Um, but uh, there's a big part of me that like often wonders too, like how much of this shit are we reacting to that is just the processing? It's just all like the, the shit's got to stay good on the truck as it's shipped for fucking two weeks across country, (laughs) you know? And you're like, ah, right. Yeah. I, I honestly think that over time we added so much additional stuff and like, I I really think that um, for me, like the wheat allergy comes down to, uh, the pesticides they were spraying on the wheat i think it was roundup yeah oh jesus yeah 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 i think over time it just my body associated the two things together and just learned to reject it you know so um i I, i'm sure there's better science behind it than what i'm saying but you know i i think that it is a lot to do with the way we treat and process everything because i do know people that they have a problem eating bread here but Mm -hmm. nothing in europe no Mm -hmm. problems at all i never really i didn't mess with bread uh the times back in europe after i learned about my allergies because i just didn't want to deal with it of course usually after the stomach pain for like a week and a half, I'll have a rash on my face. And so like, I don't want to, you know, walk around with that or be on stage with that. So I just didn't gamble on it. But in Japan, I was just like, I, I can't let anything ruin this, you know, spare for eating shellfish and then just dying from anaphylactic shock. But like, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, it, it was, uh, it was an interesting experiment. Cause I do think there was something to it, you know, um, well, I, I'd like to go back and try again as well. It's always a tough thing. I get it, man, because people are always saying to me, like, this is a hyperallergenic animal. And I'm like, look, the only way for me to fucking test that is if I pick that thing up and I breathe in deeply and I either yeah. have a fucking asthma attack or not. And Dude, it's like, I don't yes. feel like doing that at your house party. Like, it's probably no, not a good idea. It's like, just, res- just respect that I told you. Yeah. And let's just let's just avoid it all together. You know, people always want to test you when you find they find out you're allergic to something like like feel. Fieldy and Ray, they always call me Davy Gluten. And I remember head head stuck like a piece of bread under my pillowcase in the bus one day. Like, you know, they just want to mess with you. And that's fine. Like, you know, sure. I, I'm totally I'm all I'm down to clown. Like I can give it and take it. But with the pet thing, I, I too have pet allergies. I, I just have a disposition to be allergic to things, apparently. Yeah. But they got way better when I did the candida cleanse because my immune system just functions better. Oh, interesting. So I, my sister has two Morkies, and those are considered hypoallergenic. 
But whenever I'm around them, and I, I love them, I can't not hold them. I start getting this little spasm where I have to cough, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and I know it's an allergic reaction to you know dander or something that's yeah. going on. But yeah, it's gotta it, be. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, it just it, it, I know it's gonna happen. I just have to like kind of prepare for it, and I keep I keep things around that help me. You know, like lavender and peppermint are really good. Like if you don't want to take a bunch of Claritin all the time. Yeah, um, I, hate, I hate that shit. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's tough. And I'll tell you this, if I had to give up pasta and wheat so that my girlfriend can have a fucking dog, then it's time to get a new girlfriend. <laughs> so, yeah. Like, I'm, yeah. you know, up and down, you know, which way am I going to go here? But so that being said, with your diet stuff, what is what are you usually eating? Like, are you, are you a meat eater or are you just a, a straight vegan, vegetarian? Like, what, what kind of stuff are you doing? You're gonna think I'm I'm psycho, but for like a good year, I was actually 100% vegan, mm-hmm. and that it was just in an effort to kind of just uh, reset myself. And so I was touring like that. And what we did was we we were I was fortunate enough, you know, with corn we could we could host our own catering for every show. So we'd have catering with you know several things that we wanted to have, and then enough for everybody else as well. Yeah. So they included a vegan dish into every every catering so i was able to have the vegan dish a a lot of places that never would have uh accommodated somebody like me are now you know doing things with like gluten-free bread Mm -hmm. so i i found like an impossible philly cheesesteak and i just i just kept the cheese on and cheated and dealt with it you know but um so i I find like little ways but a a lot of times i do eat meat now i eat eggs i love eggs like i feel Mm -hmm. like that was when i was vegan like if there was anything missing it was eggs and once i started eating those again i felt complete Mm -hmm. but uh yeah i i do a lot of like the mediterranean diet you you consider it a lot of chicken rice vegetables um it's it's pretty clean like I, i will say like overall like i feel like the allergies are a little bit of a blessing because they've just forced me to kind of be healthier than I would be otherwise. Um, but you know, when I have a cheat day, I go as like extravagant as I can go, you know, cause <laughs> I, I just, I love food. I, I'm really passionate about it. And I love the science behind, you know, acidity and fat and, me too. you know, yeah. sweet and sour. Just, I, I love savory foods. And so, um, I'm not in any way an elitist. Anything I've ever done has just been about my overall health. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's a lot easier to eat that way than people would imagine. A mm-hmm. lot of people are like, I feel so bad for you. But I'm like, no, there's a lot of great options that are delicious now. You know, people really figured it out. Even pasta, I found it's like brown rice and quinoa pasta. Mm-hmm. And it's they're so good. convincing. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, they're they're, it's fantastic. Like, you just you just don't there's a little bit of a textural difference or a, a buoyancy difference you know sometimes but yeah but if you roll with that it's not bad like if i'm doing it's funny how we're on food and i always end up on food on this show uh <laughs> but if i'm doing like a like a like a different pot like a like a quinoa pasta or something like that and it just sort of have like that grainy texture that i'm usually doing that with like a pesto or like an oil-based uh sauce because then it just works for it and you're like oh this makes sense in my mouth to have this texture run with these different flavors. Um, it starts like if you want like the old school Italian East Coast, like, you know, chicken parmesan on on like pasta underneath, you, then you'll notice the difference. Yeah. Um, but I think it's just about I love food and I never really judge folks on what it is that they're eating as long as I don't know how many of like my sister's friends that were vegetarians and they're like, I'm a vegetarian and like, OK, great. 
come on over. I'll make you some vegetables. Oh, I don't like vegetables. I'm like, what the fuck do you <laughs> eat? What do you eat? Oh, I have like processed patties and shit all the time. And I'm like, uh, that's junk food area. So you're a fucking junk yeah. food area. Yeah, that's when you meet like the obese vegans and the obese vegetarians, yeah. like because they're eating like this processed stuff and trying to satiate their original cravings as opposed to just trying to eat cleaner or healthier. You know, oh, so there's a, a big difference. Like you can you can have like chicken breasts with some broccoli and rice like five nights a week, and you'll you'll be in great shape. You know, a hundred percent. And there's something great about. I was just talking because I'm a big barbecue nut and I like barbecue and all that. Yeah. Um, but uh, this is, it's not even really a movement. It's sort of like a return to like charring vegetables and actually cooking vegetables on coals and, and yeah. uh, introducing that uh, acidity through the char and through all that with like different flavors. It's, it's fucking wonderful. Like uh, charred carrots or charred um, cabbage is amazing. It's yeah. really great stuff. And, and uh, smoking like... Um, mushrooms like uh there's a thing now where they're smoking uh oyster mushrooms because they really retain the smoke oh that sounds amazing and it, they're just really fucking tasty and really fucking flavorful and I, I i just think that if you know what it is is that we have to get out of the fucking marketing brain that we're all in which is like the mcdonald's fucking toy fucking ads that we watched when we were kids and uh you know, yeah. head, on, head on over to fucking Chili's, you know, and you're like, what the fuck? Once you, <laughs> once you get out of that mindset and you, you sort of open yourself up and your palate up, um, I, I'm right there with you, man. Most of my diet is Mediterranean all the time. It's like uh, parsleys and, and uh, o oil and vinegar and, and uh, olives and, oh, yeah. and all that stuff. And it, it's really flavorful. It's very uh, satisfying. Um, and fun to eat. You start getting into like shish kebabs. Like I'm out here in Glendale, so I'm in like in the middle of. <laughs> oh, you, you got the masis kebab. You got there's a lot of good stuff. Zanku. Do you ever you ever Zanku's right Zanku? down the street from. Yep, I got a Zanku near us, and then I get the the uh, large tub of their garlic that they make. So they whip oh, yeah. the garlic with sea salt, lemon, and olive oil until it's this like perfect white paste. And I will put that on everything. So I'll, I'll get Zanku like once a week because they just put one in over here in Orange County. Yeah. Um, which is a blessing and a curse. But <laughs> so I, I will, I'll order it and then I'll get that large tub of garlic and I'll just keep that thing in the fridge. And I mean, if you if you plan on kissing anyone or going on any <laughs> dates, this is not this is not recommended. But it's absolutely fantastic and it's it's some of the the best and cleanest addition you can add to like vegetables or you know cucumbers pickles like i, I love it you're right it's so it's fun to eat like yeah. it's almost like half finger food it's whatever you want to do with it but they they always pair it with like a good like something to dip it in you know like baba ganoush or, mm -hmm. or hummus like i mean how can you go wrong like that there's just all the right combinations you know and and you're not eating junk most of the time well and at the end of the day being a guy that comes from uh, you know, traditional American cooking, being like an Italian American kid. So you're, you're coming from a lot of these traditions and they hit this point when, when we were younger, like at the tail end of the nineties, where like healthy eating became very sort of snooty and elitist. And it yeah. usually came with some sort of messaging on how you're supposed to live your life at the fucking same time. And it's like, <laughs> no, dude, you're, we're talking about like fucking vegetables and shit. Don't, don't get all crazy on like crystals and stuff at the same time, you know? And yeah. so, I think it just comes down to like retraining your brain to go like, it's about just good flavors and eating good food and, and having like 
really good traditions in making this stuff. Um, and like, I, that's what I really find about the Mediterranean food stuff is that it comes from old school traditions. It comes from years and years of like, how do I take this goat we just murdered and make it into like the most like delicate, wonderful fucking dish possible? Yeah. What spices go with it, you know, right. to take the gaminess out, anything like there's, it's so cool. Like there's the science behind food, um, and, and why you add things, you know, why you add a pickle to a burger. Like a lot yes. of people don't understand that, but like the, that acidity is important, you know, um, why, yep. like a, a lot of people swear that you just would put mustard on a hot dog. And that makes sense when you think about what they're trying to achieve. Like, you know, that umami, mm -hmm. um, there's a, a, an anime called food wars. I don't know if you've, you've ever watched that. I haven't I'm watched not, it. I, I've heard of it, but I haven't dude, watched it. Dude, does not disappoint. So I'm, I'm not like a big anime guy. I, I loved cowboy bebop, you know, when mm -hmm. I was growing up and, mm -hmm. uh, I, I even looked, watched some dragon ball Z, but the, uh, the food wars anime, I don't know what happened. Now it got on my radar, but I was like, I'm going to dive in and watch an episode. So I, fast forward, I've watched like, like four or five seasons of it. It's so cool because they, they animate these food dishes in a way that just looks delicious and then they break down the chemistry of it and it's all like overly dramatized and <laughs> epic it's like they're fighting you know but they're explaining why they added like this uh oyster mushroom to the ramen dish you know it's like it's so cool i, I think you should check it out as, as somebody that appreciates food i'm gonna have do. to i'm gonna have to I'll yeah have to, i'll brace myself for them screaming recipes at me <laughs> that's what they do yeah they're screaming like the women will eat a dish and then their blouse will pop open and like <laughs> All these, all these chickens will be flying through the air. They're like the the soup broth is so chickeny. Like, yeah, it's it's the greatest, dude. It, it's really entertaining, and and for somebody that enjoys food, it's like it's so fun to watch. And you're just starving by the end of it because you want to try these dishes. Oh, it sounds awesome, man. It sounds really cool. I have to check it out. And look, I hate to do it, but I got to wrap this up. This has been fucking great, man. This has been such a great conversation, dude. Yeah, I agree, man. Thank you so much for having me. We got to, I got to come up to Glendale. We got to do some, some yes. barbecue, get some food. Like yes. I, I'm a hundred percent down. There it is. Today's episode was cool, right? I really dig it, man. We really got along well, and I was surprised where that conversation went. I love just letting it go. We've talked about it a little bit on the show, but I try not to do too much prep on these things. I write down a few questions and see where it's going to head. And I did a little research on him prior to that, just so I knew what he'd be talking about. And if it, the conversation got a little low, I can go, what was it like being with corn? You know, and just sort of throw those things out. But I love that we got super nerdy about movies. I love that we got nerdy about animation. And I love, love, love that we talked about food. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Now, as promised, I wanted to sort of catch you guys up a bit and talk about some things that I think are important and things that kind of bug me right now. Um, and uh, Gene and I were talking about it this week. Uh, we were reading the uh, climate report from the UN. Uh, and it's a pretty big deal. If you guys, I'm sure everybody's heard about it. It's been clickbait stuff for a while now, um, but it's pretty intense, man. It's pretty intense being in code red for humanity at this point. And uh, it, when you get this news, it's always really hard for me to get this stuff because you feel like there's nothing 
as being such a such a cog in the wheel you feel like what you do really doesn't make a difference isn't going to change things and so i was doing a little bit of research and trying to figure out okay so how much of this uh greenhouse gas emissions is from cars like where does this come from and yes the biggest portion of it is transportation that's a big deal and that's that's your cars that's your airplanes that's all of that but another big pat like the other big part of that pie is you know home power and a lot of uh these places are still running their power plants on coal on fossil fuels and so those power plants are just fucking pounding the air with this stuff continuously consistently and uh then i you know there's the other side of me that's like okay well how bad are we as americans how bad is america on this and we're number two man so china's number one and china blows us out of the water as far as like how what their emissions are it's insane and then we're right there behind them and then i think the other big boys is like india and russia and uh and then it just sort of continues um it's a big deal and i was thinking about it today and going like what the fuck yet you have to change infrastructure right so you're gonna have to change out how we do power and, and where power comes from and nuclear is dangerous like after everything we saw in japan nuclear is a big deal and so then it's like okay so is it solar is it solar power solar panels is that the thing is it wind is that the thing um and we're out here in california and los angeles and i can't help but just look outside and go why the fuck aren't there fields of solar fucking panels out here that's all we have are places where the sun is just smashing into it continuously why are we not doing that and then i have to remind myself that i'm not very educated on how much it costs to create solar panels and, and how much it costs to maintain solar panels but we're kind of at this point where who gives a fuck, right let's try to figure this thing out maybe does it take plastic does it take recycled plastic maybe we can convince people that recycled plastic is worth more and maybe we could start to trudge the oceans, right? <laughs> and and go send the fishing boats out there to bring in the fucking plastic bottles to make these things. Like, how does that work? I'm fascinated because you get this news, which is very anxiety fueled. And I know everybody feels that. We live in a very reactionary time period for clickbait and for news updates. And these things are drafted to specifically get us motivated, which means throw high anxiety at the general public but then as you read through these things it's like okay so here's how devastating it is and when in four years from now we're beyond the point and the damage that has been done can't be undone for a hundred years at least and so you're like fuck fuck and so all this stuff is going in right you're feeling all that so then i just want to know what can we do right i mean i can't afford to get rid of my car right now but if I could, if there was like a real good incentive, if there was a real good uh, like loan system in place where everybody had to go electric vehicles, let's do it. I'm down. I mean, there was the 15 year old in me that used to love, you know, big V8s and like the GTOs and the fucking Chevelles and wanting to grow up and have a fucking ss as an italian kid you know wanting to have an ss and, and doing all that stuff and i want my car to and i want it to sound and all that kind of shit. i'm over it i'm fucking over it 
If it means that we can breathe, if it means that we can be outside during certain months that heat waves aren't smashing into us, who gives a fuck if my car, you know, boosts my, boosts me with testosterone? You know what? Mount some speakers under the fucking thing and let me sound design it so that when I hit the gas pedal, vroom, and there's a fucking bass system in there and I get it that way. Right? What's the difference? Not to mention the fact that working on cars and spending time in shops and underneath vehicles and fucking getting oil in your eyes and oil in your hair and gasoline and siphoning gasoline, they run filthy and they run dirty. And those parts and those seals fall apart because of the explosions that happen contained within that cast iron that happens in there. We don't necessarily need that, right? I sure as fuck don't need that. Do you guys need that? Now, and then I was thinking to myself, well, look, there's a huge, we're living in a time period right now where the country's so fucking divided on whether or not they're going to get a shot, whether or not they're going to wear fucking masks. And this is going to be a whole other part of that divide where politically the giant fucking companies that are making ass loads of cash consistently continue to make ass loads of cash on this that have destroyed our fucking planet making ass loads of cash are going to sit there and go, well, it's not American and it's not this and it's not that. Fuck that, man. It's the planet, dude. And yes, the anxiety is ringing true. It's a ringing true within me. So then I'm asking myself, how am I going to convince all of those like race car drive fans? Like, how are you going to convince all these folks to, to, to give up having the room? You know what I mean? And I thought to myself and I go, why doesn't, why doesn't Formula One and NASCAR go electric? And I know I can hear it. I can hear you all go, fuck. It's shifting in your seats. Well, that's not fucking NASCAR. You know, all that shit. I can hear you guys doing it. But the truth of the matter is, is both NASCAR, right, and Formula One, let's be honest about it. They're rich men games. That's what they are. Very wealthy companies, wealthy dudes finance these things. And it's the ultimate in like testosterone. It's the ultimate in like... I'm going to beat you with my faster car. I'm going to beat you with that stuff. Why does it have to be gas powered? There can be an exciting thing around designing the fastest electric engine. The science involved with doing that is just as fascinating as the science that's involved with containing explosions within an engine. Right? And I don't have the specs in front of me, but I've heard how fucking fast these electric cars are. They're lighter. They require less stuff. And at the end of the day, isn't races about the driver? And I know what they do at NASCAR and I know what they supposedly do at Formula One where they're capping everybody out at a specific level. There are certain rules about how your car can be shaped. There are certain rules about what you can put in your vehicle. So can't we tailor that to an electric car? Won't that be just as exciting? And I know a lot of you guys out there are like, well, yeah, but you, it won't sound the same. You won't hear all that stuff. But you know what? I'm going to say it. Just hire Michael Bay to come in and have him do a bunch of fucking promo spots for this shit. Have him redesign the promo spots for NASCAR and have it be like, check out how fucking cool the electricity and the engine goes and design that thing and put it out there and people are going to love it. So I'm sure that these guys are listening to this small fucking podcast, but... NASCAR, Formula One, 
go electric. Any racing circuit, go electric. All of them, rally races, go electric. Because what you're doing isn't necessary. It's not like it's not like I'm asking um, uh, us, uh, like all the citizens in a town that are underpaid and on unemployment to throw their fucking cars away and not be able to get to work, right? It's not like I'm asking like all the uh, the underpaid uh, municipalities. I fucking fucked that word up. Municipalities. There it is again. I can't get it. Um, but uh, you know, to throw out their fires, their fire trucks, and their ambulances and all that shit. I haven't even tackled airlines yet. So we're just talking about a sport. We're talking about a pat like, like it, 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 there's a tradition and there's a pastime to it. And I get that. Believe me, I get that. For years, I worked with NASCAR fans. I've been to NASCAR races. I've done that stuff. But what they're doing is entertainment. Big buck entertainment. A lot of money to be made with that shit. But it's entertainment. So. Could we not just have those 500 fucking laps for the camera be with electric cars? And I know you're saying like, Mike, like there's so many more important things for us to tackle. There's so many, like we have to tackle like uh, power plants and the conversion of power plants. I get it, but I'm, I'm thinking about the psyche of the public. I'm thinking about reinventing the narrative that is cool, that is manly, that is macho it doesn't have to be gas powered shit and there's a point of that where it feels very similar to what it was with camel and cigarettes and stuff right how many years was it that like every big time fucking manly star would have to stop and turn a boot and light a match and fucking stand there with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth and that was manly and then how many of us viewers out there us little mindless viewers that are like he looks so cool when Steve McQueen does that, he looks cool. I want to be Steve McQueen, right? So why not make that effort? Why not make NASCAR and make Formula One and make rally racing, make all these things electric? That seems to be the easiest step in such a massive undertaking that has to happen. And then let's start to celebrate that technology. Let's start to celebrate what it's like to have an electric car. Because believe me, being a kid that grew up with hot rods and all that stuff for years, if anybody said, hey, I got an electric car, I'd be like, what a wuss. Really? You got an electric car? I remember the first time I drove an electric car, I was like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But because it was, it was never marketed to me or it was never put in the chassis of something that was cool. And, you know, a lot of the new electric cars are that way. The Teslas are super fucking fast, supposedly. I've never been in a Tesla, um, but they're supposed to be really, really fast. I don't know, dude. It just seems like such a fucking easy thing to do if, uh, you know, if it comes down to either like, or I can't go outside today because uh, my skin's going to melt. <laughs> or, uh, hey, guess what? Uh, the entire neighborhood that I grew up in doesn't exist anymore because it's under fucking water. Right? Yeah. And look, like I said, I know that there are so many more important things to be tackling with this. And so then this should be easy. This should be such a simple thing. And I bring it up because I know that there's a divide amongst those of you who are listening. And there are those of you who are like, fuck that, man. 
Don't fuck with my NASCAR. Don't fuck with my Formula One. That seems like such a small thing. And if you can't do that, if you can't give away on something like that, if you can't change your, your, your mindset on something like that, then we're fucked, right? Because then it's going to come down to some serious shit. Like, hey, guess what? You can only use power for three hours a day, right? Or uh, guess what? Uh, you're only allowed to have one car per, per household, right? So think about it. Process it. Talk to people about it. You know, that's the only reason I bring it up because I feel like it's irresponsible for me not to talk about something like that on the show. And I try to stay away from politics. This has got nothing to do with politics. I'm not even getting into the politics behind it, which are fucking intense, but I'm not. I'm just talking about us as people, us as a species, us dealing with the repercussions of it, of it all. And there's a, there's a younger generation out there that is being born into this. So many of us are like, I'm going to have kids. And so we pound them out and they're being born into the shit. They're, they're, they're coming, they're, they're stepping out of their home and stepping out into the cesspool, stepping out into the landfill and going like, what the fuck? This is what we've been dealt? I, I see it, man. I hear you guys. I have sympathy for that. So let's stop fighting with each other about shit and let's start to really push the big issue because at the end of the day, everything else falls short if we can't survive, if we can't be out there breathing. And there are a lot of people out there that want to keep us fighting over the stupid little shit so that they can make as much cash as possible before someone pulls the power cord on their cash cow. And that's for real. I don't know. I got real serious there for a minute, but I was just thinking about it. I'm curious, man. I hope that beyond this being a clickbaity thing, beyond this being like a way for websites and for newspaper outlets and for sponsors to make cash by saying we're fucked and everybody running around with their heads cut off. I hope they give us some like real, real interesting options. And at the end of the day, there's a lot that you and I can do at home, but a lot of it has to come from all the big businesses that are running this country, that are running the planet. A lot of big changes are coming for those folks, and we're going to see a lot of angry people trying to manipulate us because it's, it's the end of the line. It really is. It needs to be the end of the line for gas and for coal and for fossil fuels. It's just, it, it has to. I don't know. I don't want to rant and rave about too much, like for too long about something that I barely know anything about. But anyway, on a lighter note, uh, a lot of new episodes on the way. Very excited. Thank you guys for hanging out. Hope you guys had fun. Hope you guys thought a little bit about everything. And uh, yeah, that's it, man. I hate leaving you on such a downer. Don't be down. Remember, shit, we're still alive. We're still here. We could still do things. We could still turn things around. Um, just as long as uh, we don't get too set in our ways. And you're, you're talking to a guy that struggles with that every day. You know, and the older I get, the harder it is. But there's no reason why we can't turn things around again. And that's it. I'll leave you guys with that. <laughs> and uh, I'll see you next Tuesday.